everybody. Welcome to episode 30-something of the podcast that goes Nick. This is your host, Jason, a communist and a mutant, minimal. And I'm joined by a special guest, Andrew Massive Man Brute Autry. Hey, glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, Andrew's here. We're going to talk about, on this flashback episode, the first time Wolverine meets Spider-Man. That's a relationship that is carried on even till today. So I thought it'd be cool to get my resident Spider-Man expert in here to dissect it from both sides. So uh, anyway, uh, as soon as the song's over, we'll get right to it. And that should be pretty soon here. Almost Freebird-like. <laughs> it's only a minute and a half. This is Andrew's favorite part of the song. Love it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't have headphones on. <laughs> you told me it was your favorite part. You can't guess. Uh, it looks like the wave file's ending. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we are. Uh, Andrew, say hi, man. Hey, how's hey. it going? It's going well. How are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? I'm doing fantastic. Really, All right. Really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited for you to be here. So that's double the excitement, double the fun, double mint gum. <laughs> if you want to sponsor us, double mint, you can. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about when Wolverine and Spider-Man first met. And that kind of covers a two-issue span that starts in Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 1, and Marvel team-up number 53. But before we get to the comics, I want to introduce my uh, special guest here. So, Andrew, I know some of the answers to a lot of these questions, but for the sake of our audience, I'm going to ask them anyway and pretend like I don't know. That, that sounds great. <laughs> so, Andrew, what's your name? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> I Andrew. Know, I know that one. <laughs> All right, so, Andrew, uh, tell have, me about... Have some fun with me, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your uh, comic book history. Like, do you remember, like, what your first comic book was? Actually, I do. My first, okay. you know, real comic book right, was, right, right. uh, it was an Avengers annual during the Atlantis Attacks era oh, wow. of, uh, it was around late 80s, early 90s, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. late 80s. Avengers versus Neymar. And so, is that something, or comic something that, hooked you right away or was it kind of a delayed yeah i read that ratification uh, i read that one uh, comic and then just immediately every trip to the brookshire's grocery store involved <laughs> buying the the three comics you know they would have okay and what were those three that you bought uh, the most you know it was usually they'd usually carry some avengers some okay. generic spider-man and then usually one of the x brands you okay. know the x-men or uncanny or right. uh uh, later, they started carrying some new mutants, but it was real hit or miss. So it was, it was kind of frustrating for the early comic book aficionado to not right. w know where to get comic books. <laughs> well, yeah, and you kind of had to know. We we were lucky that Cameron's aunt knew of a shop when we were young. I don't really know how she knew, but she did, and she would take us out every Saturday. Uh, she always had the hookups. 
All right, well, so that's kind of where you started and how you got into it. What was your favorite stuff growing up? You know, early on, I really got into Spider-Man and the Uncanny X-Men. Right. And then, Good uh, place. you know, I know this isn't very cool to say, but around uh, 1990 or so, I got really into the New Warriors. <laughs> Mullets and all. Mullets and all. <laughs> and that carried me, uh, you know, that carried me on into high school, at which point I... You know, I'm sad to say I fell out of comics for a little while. Hey, we went to college. We had other things to do. Yeah, and then I I kind of fell back into them later and then fell more into kind of back issues of the 70s and 80s more recently. Right. Well, actually, you're largely responsible for my uh, slide back into a comic addiction. Uh, You know, I remember uh, going over to your apartment in college and reading old Amazing Spider-Man while we played a Super Tecmo Bowl on the original NES. Those were some of the best days of my life. They were pretty epic. But just to uh, clarify, put out the disclaimer, we weren't in college during the first run of the NES. No. <laughs> like, we're not that old. You bought, you had a, uh, an old system. You, you, did you have that from your house, or did you find it? In Abilene. That was a uh, Christmas present from my brother when I was, I think, 21 or 22. Oh, wow. Okay. So he probably found it at like a, what were the stores back then? Like Funko Land? Was that? He probably got it there or in yeah. some shady heroin deal. <laughs> wow. Could have been anywhere. Anywhere. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, we kind of, uh, we kind of kicked off. You were kind of a pioneer in the, uh, retro video game craze that came about a few years after that yeah at the time he gave me the system you could get games for like a buck and right. then a year or two later it was like 20 30 bucks a cartridge right you know at which point and, and you, you crossed know, your fingers that they still worked yeah i mean you you had to do the blow into it technique the pu- <laughs> you know the put it in so that it catches the front of the cartridge right, holder right, right. just right and then don't breathe on it for 24 yeah. hours. I mean, there was, you had to do witchcraft, basically, oh, yeah. to play these games. Yeah. Well, we were the trendsetters. You know, some trends work and some don't. Uh, your pioneer into the uh, rainbow trout house slippers didn't really catch on. No, but I still feel that I, uh, m- you know, I'd say I made an impression of some yes. kind. <laughs> you did. All right, so who then um, would you say is your favorite comic superhero? I know it's kind of a tough question. Well, that's but a really you, hard question. But if you had to pick, like, if you could only get back into one character right now, who would it be? Well, I don't even know if he's in comic books right now. I loved Speedball. Speedball, okay. Very, he's the obscure, probably my yeah. favorite of the definitely can go find a title right is uh it probably is spider-man i mean he's been you know he's been getting it done for what 50 years now 51 years something like that yeah and he looks good for (laughs) you know for being 70 he's aged well yeah (laughs) i don't know do you know the uh current status of speedball i don't oh okay well um he actually is a pretty big catalyst in what has been probably the last decade of Marvel stories. Um, he and the New Warriors blew up a school fighting a bad guy. That's, which, a, that's a shame. Which started the uh, Civil War. And then he felt so guilty, he became a character known as Penance. Really? And kind of became, kind of did the tortured hero thing for a while, and then he kind of disappeared. But they're talking about the possibility of maybe uh, reviving some new warriors. So, 
Man, I, I feel like I've lost all credibility with your, your listening <laughs> no, audience. No, man, people like Penance, I guess. I don't know. I think he sold pretty well. I, I remember the issue uh, he fought Nova was was at least touted as a big deal. So Okay. Yeah, I mean, they the New Warriors, to me, kind of, they lost a lot of their zip when Fabian Nassieza, who I don't know how to say his last name. That works for me. Stopped, uh, stopped writing for them. I think they right. kind of... They fell off the map for me a little bit. Yeah. I can see that. And for yeah. everybody else, since they were canceled like <laughs> a year or two later. Yeah. Kind of like G.I. Joe without Larry Hama. It just doesn't quite stand up. But um, is, is that... Did he only do pre-Serpentor? No, I think, I think he did most of the original run. But when he checked out, that, I don't think they tried to get anybody else. I think they just canned it. Yeah. <laughs> Then he went on to to write Wolverine for a while. Cause don't don't you have a contention that Serpentor is the worst thing that ever happened to <laughs> to the world? He's pretty bad. He, you know, luckily well, I say this now. I'm trying to rack my brain to make sure I'm not lying. I'm pretty sure the Cobra Law stuff never made it into the comic, and if it had, that would have surpassed Serpentor. But. I mean, though, in the movie, you do get the chance to go, Cobra, la, 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 you know. And, and I do. Yes. <laughs> in fact, I... Routinely. <laughs> I don't know that a month has gone by that I don't chant that at least once. Awesome. Sometimes I, I wake up in the night and I hear that. And I when I wake up... It calls I, to you from your dreams? Well, no, I'll realize it's me. Oh, Just oh. doing it in my sleep. You're sweet. Wow. Well, that's... That's better than screaming like a banshee like I do from time to time. Hey, speaking of banshee, he's in the comic we're, uh, we're yeah. talking about right, today. So let's get to comic books. So we're going to start with Marvel Team-Up Annual Number 1 from, what was this? 76, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't give a month on the annual. Okay. Yeah. So it's so from 1976. I think it came out in early 76. Because this January, this Team Up 53 is January 57. So I'm sorry, it's late 76, really late. That's interesting because I thought, I thought during that era most of the annuals came out like they were. That was a summertime deal, but yeah, it doesn't I, doesn't appear that's it. Or either that or there was a long break between these two stories. I'm guessing it came out late. Yeah, I have it on my on my web page. I should have looked at that real fast, but I didn't. This is the. Uh, this podcast is the height of research, as <laughs> my listeners are well aware. <laughs> All right, but we have double the action, double the thrills as Spider-Man and the X-Men take on the Lords of Light and Darkness. All right, so this is going to be written by Bill Mantlo. The art is by Sal Basima and Mike Esposito. The letters are by Jim Novak. Colors by Hugh Paley. And the editor is Archie Goodwin. And we have a cover by X-Men staple, Dave Cockrum. So let's start with the cover. What do you think about the cover, Andrew? Yeah, it's kind of a good, nice action cover. It's one of those where you got some pretty good depth to it. You got a tiny Cyclops at the bottom. Right. You got... You know, Wolverine hanging on a big robot leg. It's <laughs> He's got his claws out. It's got a lot for everyone. Yeah. It's got good, it's got good vibrant color. Yeah, and you got the radioactive isotope background. Yeah, I, I say thumbs up for the yeah. cover. Fighting a monster I don't think they fight. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like a much cooler looking robot than is actually in the comic yes, book anywhere. I would agree with that. I, in fact, we can talk more about it as we go through it, but I would dare say this is the best art of the issue on the cover. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoyed the Dave Cockrum art, and he's been a pretty consistent X-Men artist as we've been going through these flashback episodes, so I did the cover quite a bit. All right, so basically, we get a nice splash page to start off with the X-Men and Spider-Man running away from a mushroom cloud. That's very typical of that era to be, uh, it seems like a lot of the, from the late 60s to mid 70s, the uh, the nuclear uh, idea is very, right. uh, is very big prevalent storyline. But it's kind of switched from being like, sci-fi fantasy to like cold war paranoia by this time yeah i, th- I think that was in full swing and uh i mean you get it from the creating characters like the hulk which we'll talk about in right. the next episode you know next issue uh to just uh you know it seems like there's always nuclear physicists and scientists <laughs> and making right. their way through a lot of these all right so we are introduced to the nest which is this underground desert encampment base kind of place and we meet the staff nothing really do you have anything there you want to talk about yeah you know a couple things one i love this this you know they broke this up into chapters yes yeah this is chapter one i really like how this first chapter is told almost like a 1920s detective story okay like from the the noirish yeah uh it's all narrated by this one guy who basically dies and then there's nothing else (laughs) He's not even a character, but he narrates this whole beginning section, right. and it's completely in that, uh, you know, I'm Sam Sneed, <laughs> private eye. It's right. that it's that whole type of thing. And I also really love on page three how much that one guy looks like Samuel L. Jackson. He kind of does. I didn't even catch that, but now that you say that, I can't unsee it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, obviously, I think... Yeah, this is before Samuel L. got big. Right, right, right. So you can't really say this was derivative of him. It's more likely that he based his image (laughs) off of this. He made a poor choice, Sam. (laughs) He should have picked someone with a little more longevity. (laughs) I do like, uh, though, we have a pretty diverse cast of characters in the in the science thing. And we've talked about with, with camera, particularly on, on other episodes, how uh, Marvel during this time, you can kind of look back as a comic nerd and be proud of how diverse they were as far as, cause I mean, all these guys are like top notch scientists and they're not all white guys. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you get, uh, you've got an African American, two Asian people, uh, a couple of white people and some guy who's, I mean, he's so beardly. It's hard to really, <laughs> tell for sure he look i think he's a norse god actually i think he's the most interesting man in the world uh, you, you know this what is, he, this is his pre dosecchi's commercial you know what i do you know what along with samuel l launching his career from this comic i think there's a pretty big marketing scheme that yeah this is its origin yep all right cool so who knew uh, you'd pick such an influential comic book to, i know to talk I, about I had today. no idea we would discover the secret origins of everybody all right, so basically then we have another doctor, and he has figured out a way basically to, I don't know, uh, irradiate. Is that how you say that? I'd go with irradiate. Okay, irradiate. So I like to say radiation. A lot of people, right, right, right. A lot of people so like you... radiation. 
<laughs> because of the whole rad factor. <laughs> You know, so the the Corys would say irradiating. Yeah, they would say irradiating <laughs> while watching the movie Rad. Right, right. <laughs> All right. So basically, he's found a way to irradiate common minerals. Which, All right, so what would be the good implications of that? How, do, you, do you know the science behind that at all? Because I wasn't really sure. Basically, I think it's only good for blowing yourself up and, <laughs> and acquiring superpowers. Okay. So my guess is this is what's about to happen on this page was is not intended? an accident. Okay. Yeah, I, I think they were actually seeking superpowers. Right. They were trying to blow them. Okay. You know, I was trying to think, like, if you take, like, salt and you radiate salt, like, what does it accomplish you? I, don't, I couldn't really figure out what exactly they're going for. But you were right. They do, uh, there's an earthquake that happens and it makes the machine go out of control and everything gets irradiated and blows up in this giant explosion. And that's where our narrator says, not that I care, I'm dead. Which how, how much nourish can you get than dying while you're narrating? It's, it's pretty, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Frank Miller would be proud. I kept assuming that the narrator would come back later well, is he, is he not? Well, I don't no. want to spoil that. I don't want to spoil oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. spoiler alert <laughs> from 1976. <laughs> right. uh, so maybe, maybe, maybe he is, maybe he isn't dead. Okay. Stay tuned. All right. <laughs> All right. So then we switch to uh, chapter two, Day of the Demons. All right. And so I should kind of like this concept. Basically, we have a plane. It's flying around, and it's not going to land. It's going to refuel in the air. And they've used this setting to have, like, a science convention, like a think tank. I thought it was a cool idea. Instead of, like, having it and having extra security at a hotel or whatever, like, they put all these big brains in a plane, and they're going to fly around and, and think about stuff and try to better mankind. Yeah, I mean, and gas was like two cents a gallon. Then. Right. So, I mean, you could, you could do this for a month. You could have a month-long conference in the air. Right. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Something about that just, I, I thought that was one of the highlights. I thought it was a really good concept. The execution we can uh, talk about as we go through it, but I thought the concept of having this like science convention in the sky was really cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I and you know, Peter Parker in that era was a science student, yes. very promising along with being, but he was well known by this point though. Right. Like he was a recognized student. Yeah, like like, like he, a guy that people saw a lot of potential in. Yeah, his professors okay. uh, were big fans of his work, despite the fact that he was always a little tired from right. his web slinging and, and, and never on time to anything. Right, and so uh, you know this kind of they they made a because you know you're first thinking how is a college student on this plane with you know they made a reasonable tie-in between his college professors and his. Uh, work for the Daily Bugle to explain right. why why he's on this plane. Okay, cool. So he's basically there to uh, not only take pictures, but to take notes, basically is what the professor tells him, right? That right. I want you to observe, but I also want you to learn while you're here. And so that's what Peter Parker's doing. And then we get an, I thought was classic Spider-Man, where he's like taking a picture of these scientists and their guys, and he's like, this will be the most interesting photo of the day. And the narration's like, not likely, Peter. And to me, that's so like classic Spider-Man. Absolutely. Oh. The narrator knows more than the characters. Right, and they kind of joke about, oh, you would think by now Peter Parker would just assume that no day is going to be boring and normal, but 
I guess he still expects things to go smoothly. He he has not come to terms with this Parker luck as of yet. I guess. Well, you know, well he's thinking this is Marvel team up. Things go well here versus <laughs> you know spectacular Spider Man where everything's drama. <laughs> I don't want to mess with any girlfriends on this book. Right. <laughs> awesome. All right. So basically, we also meet uh, Charles Xavier and his students, and he um, is a foremost uh, knowledge dude on mutations. So he's here to talk to everybody, and a couple of people get kind of mad at him. Yeah, you know what I found really interesting on this page. You know, first of all, you get to see the 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 new X Men in their civvies. You know, they're because they're supposed to be you know these are just right. students. These aren't X Men. Yeah, regular yeah, yeah. people. But apparently, the colorist. What what did you say the colorist's name was? The colorist was. Hugh Paley or Hugh. Paley. All right. Well, Haley, uh, Hugh, Hugh Paley. Uh, Storm is not Mantis. She's she's Storm. I think she just doesn't like flying in planes. I think she's about to puke all. Oh, over. oh. So yeah. that's a subtle like she's actually. Yeah, she's about to throw up all over Professor X's head. So that's Which why is she's good green. that he's bald. He can just wipe it off. Right, so that's why she's green. Yeah, I, I'm guessing, yeah. It's amazing I mean, that a flying person would get air sick. That's well, a really but interesting she does, sub... But she does have claustrophobia. That's true, you know, and so, I think subtext... You know, there was a lot of subtext in yeah, the 70s. It's, it's not a mistake. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good to know. All right, so we see... Uh, Especially since she's the exact same color as her dress, <laughs> and it just kind of looks like lazy coloring. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Hugh. But I'm sure it's not. I'm sure she's just sick. So anyway, one of the guys gets mad at the professor. I don't really... Oh, going back. I don't really like Wolverine's hair here. We're going back to the Super Widow's Peak, which I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, they kind of went with the... It's Super Eddie Munster in yes. the front yeah. and just really, really tall on the sides. Wait, wait a second. Were you about to make a mullet comparison? <laughs> Business up front, party in the back. There's oh, a Munster in the front and a yeah. wild man out back. Yeah, he's he's Munster right. in the front and then just <laughs> mad Canadian in the back. Right, okay. All right. It's actually like... The tallest his mask has ever been without the mask. I mean, he's right, got right, right. extremely tall spikes. Yes. Like, if relaxed, this hair would be like mid back. Almost. <laughs> you know, if it was Probably pointing so. down. If it pointed down. All right. Yeah. All right. So, basically, the senator guy gets really pissy with Professor X. Excuse me. Wolverine decides he's going to intimidate him. And the way that only Wolverine can, and he says, It's none of your business, bub. And I don't much like your tone. And basically says, you need to respect my, my professor here. And of course, Peter Parker and Cyclops try to break it up. So this is our first interaction between Peter Parker and Logan. So that's interesting that he's trying to calm Wolverine down. So that's kind of their first personal interaction as non-heroes. But then a giant black cloud envelops the plane... And it goes, start, it just loses control and starts falling from the sky. And uh, everybody's kind of going crazy. And suddenly, what looks like missiles come storming towards the plane. And we find out there are these giant robots called racks, which are basically some form of, they're named after some kind of demon. And so they attack the plane. Professor X yells like nobody's business. <laughs> 
Storm and Storm has lost her air sickness claustrophobia on this page, so that's yes, good. She's, that's good. She's no, back it, to normal. It comes back. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> last, but at least I'm glad she felt better long enough to act right, heroic. Right. Then Peter Parker ducks into a bathroom, and he's going to change clothes, and we get a classic where he almost gets caught changing to Spider-Man, and he gets around it by hanging on the ceiling as a motion-sick senator runs into the bathroom to throw up. So then the X-Men and Spider-Man start teaming up to take on these robots. They fight a little bit, a couple of pages of fighting as the um, plane continues to dive. We get a snicked, but it's misspelled. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You don't just get a snicked. In that one panel, you get a bamf, okay. a snicked, and a bub. <laughs> It's maybe the single greatest panel ever. It's it's X-Men goodness right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then so, <laughs> so somehow, and this is a thing that happened in the 60s and 70s that I still don't really understand. When Jim Gray is able to mind blast a robot. Yeah, it's so. a little dicey. But at least they, you know, they drew a nice pink blast coming right, out of her right. head, so you know, you know, it's telekinetic and not telepathic. Yeah, I it's think not I, like when Professor X mind blasts somebody. Yeah, I think it's more like this is a blast force. from my mind, not I'm blasting your mind. Okay, because there are there are stories earlier where Professor X is able to read the mind of a robot. Very strange. Yeah, I mean that's that's. Uh, <laughs> Not, not quite possible. That's not the standard <coughs> definition of telepathy. Right, right. Have you ever noticed, why do we say telepathy, but then you say telepath? Why isn't it... Telepath? Telepath. <laughs> or, you know, telepathy. I just, I, oh, I guess telepathy sounds dumb. Well, yeah, so does telepath. <laughs> I just... Yeah. I feel like we're phonetically inconsistent in the oh. comic book world. Especially, you know, as try a young... English. Right. Well, <laughs> as a young man reading these and, you know, trying to sound out words oh, that yeah, are yeah. a little bit beyond your, your your diction at that point. Right. It, it, could be, it could be problematic. I will say, though, one really great thing about comics from the 70s and on into the early 80s, you know, because of the vast content written... You actually, there actually were more like reading a oh, book. Yeah, like yeah. there's, there's actual reading involved, not, you know, it, you know the vi- this, this took me, it probably took me thirty minutes to read this, and granted, I was reading it critically for the podcast. Sure. But, but I mean, I think if I had read it just casually, it probably still would have taken about twenty minutes, which is. At least twice as long as a modern comic, if not yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I like what modern comics have done with with the panel breakdowns, yes. with the, the art, the coloring, the you know, the quality of the paper. A lot right. of things have improved, and I just I uh, I think sometimes the quantity. It's like you know, Tolstoy's great, and you know somebody who writes small books that isn't Tolstoy anyway, yeah. is great. But sometimes you, you like the, the epic nature. <laughs> sometimes of the early you want comics. to sit down in a chair and just read. Right. Sometimes you want to feel that the uh, fifty cents you paid for your king size <laughs> annual had some hey, return on that investment. That was a twenty cent upcharge from right. the time. So we'll see. Marvel Team Up Fifty Three was only thirty cents. But yeah, I mean, cause if you want to read for a while with comics, you got to grab a stack. Yeah. But anyway, that's 
That's some some old Neither man. Neither here nor there, but yeah. Old man Venable talking. <laughs> old man Venable. All right. So we get some more fighting, and then uh, Spider-Man does this thing, which is a little bit questionable to me. You, you as a Spider-Man historian, can uh, can maybe fill me in on the gaps a little bit. But he spins a giant web parachute that is able to slow down a falling jumbo jet. What, what do you think about this? I found it a little hard to swallow myself. Well, I mean, he, he is a science student. Yes. Uh, you know. Well, I know my, his idea or him thinking of it is not my problem. No, I meant, you know, his, his web fluid. He's, you know, he's, he's a pretty respected science student. I mean, what high schooler, you know, now he's in college, but you right, know, right. the web fluid is from high school. What high school science student can't come up with you know, a wrist device that'll shoot a web strong enough to slow down a massive plane that's in free fall. But, okay, but does he have this much web? Yeah, that's the other thing, is this is the arrow. I mean, he still had his little wrist cartridges. Yeah, this is when he was always running out of webbing in inopportune times. Yeah, well, that's only in stories where that's part of the story. Right. In this one, part of the story is slowing down a free-falling okay. jet. So, so basically what you're saying is his web cartridge holds enough for the plot. It basically, he has a plot-driven web cartridge. I mean, that's okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Right. But well, he does. I'm glad, I'm glad I could provide some Spider-Man historical context. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So, but land the plane. He does with the vastum. Which, yeah, when I when I saw a plane land, that's pretty much the sound it made. The Spider-Man gets out, and the X-Men and everybody's all safe. But. This guy decides that the robots were not after the plane. They were after the muties. Yeah, I like that when you say mutants. You know, that's politically correct. But if yeah, you really yeah. want to dig in, you oh, say yeah. muties. Well, so basically, I mean, it wouldn't be an X-Men comic without some uh, anti-mutant propaganda. So we continue on. And we have uh, now the X-Men have switched into their costumes the senator who's anti-mutant is also anti-communist. So, so those are the two evils in his eye, are communism and mutantdom. And so, so Wolverine gets in his face again, this time in full Wolverine garb. But yeah, so then he pulls out this device that's uh, checking for radiation. And he, he finds it, this little handheld radiation detector. And there's radiation out in the middle of the desert. I mean, the nest. And so the X-Men decide they have to take the fight to the robots. Which, you know, makes sense. Storm is uh, sick again. <laughs> and um, But how are they going to do it? They can't withstand this radiation. Whatever will they do to go fight the robots? I mean, I guess it's a good thing that they were uh, with all these scientists. Yes, because one of them pulls out. Something straight from the Batman 60s TV show. <laughs> it really is. And he has a bottle of anti-radiation spray. You know, and basically, because he's a scientist, everybody trusts him and said, oh, well, yeah, I guess that'll work. Obviously, the radiation spray is going to get the job done. So Spider-Man says, spray away, doctor. And so they get their dose of radiation spray. Don't you love his pluck? I mean, he's just, that's just pluck. He's ready to go. <laughs> he's, he's super optimistic about fighting these robots. But just uh, spray this stuff on my suit 
<laughs> and um, we'll go fight the radiation. You would think on a plane, on a conference about mutations, there might be a hazmat or suit or two available, but... You know, when you think about it, in the modern world, you know, in this, we've already said this was 1976. In the right. modern world, that professor never could have brought that spray onto the plane because it's, <laughs> no. it's too much liquid. It would have been it's, chapter security. He could have only brought like 1.5 <laughs> ounces. A little mini shampoo. Yeah, bottle. I mean, he could have like sprayed night crawlers. Head, yeah. yeah, or night, night crawlers, crawlers the smallest. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to irradiate that. Right. <laughs> All right. All right, so uh, chapter three into Hell Pit. So apparently radiation makes rainbows. That's good to know. As we see a giant rainbow irradiating from a hole in the ground. And the X-Men go, and then we get kind of the first interaction between Spider-Man and Wolverine as in costume. I actually really like this a lot. This interaction, um, when you, uh, some interpretive reading here. Sure. I'll be, which, I'll be, which, uh, which character am I? Well, I'll be Wolverine. You'll be Spider-Man. All right. Yes. Think you can keep up with us, webhead? I've been keeping up for years, friend. And since I don't hear them talking about you as the amazing Wolverine, I must be doing something right. And the Nightcrawler says, Wolverine seeks to best you, my, bait you, my friend. He seems to find some measure of security in the belittling of others. Watch it off, I bite. <laughs> That's good stuff. I've, yeah. I really like this, this first quip. Yeah, the Amazing and Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was probably my favorite part of both of these issues. Yeah, that was a, that was a good quip. I mean, keep in mind, you know, from a comic book standpoint, not, it, not in Marvel years, but from a... Comic standpoint, you know, Spider-Man at this point is a staple for you know fifteen years or yeah, so. Yeah, give or he's, take. He's pretty established as yeah, the oh, amazing. Him and him and the Fantastic Four are probably the big sellers at this point. Right. So he uh, he gets it in on the Wolverine, and plus it is his book. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that yeah, that's the thing uh, about Marvel Team Up is that it was essentially a vehicle for Spider-Man. Right. You know, of the hundred plus issues they put out over thirteen years, he you know he was the main character in all but nine of them. So right. it basically was Spider-Man teams up with someone else. Right. Yeah, definitely. Right, so then Professor X tries to talk to his students, but the strain is too much. So Banshee and Storm fly into the rainbow. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the very very classic. Uh, telepath image of <laughs> Professor X's head just kind of the appearing in the air. Head. Yeah, yeah, the floating yeah. head oh, to I, indicate oh, he's talking to them. I, I really <laughs> like that. Right. So then Professor X is worn out and uh, Spider-Man and Wolverine go at it again. Yeah, and here, here's where Wolverine kind of gets the zinger back to him for, for his amazing Wolverine quip. Right. Alright, so you be Spider-Man. Alright. Your two flyers have been gone a long time, ex-people. I think we'd better hustle after them, and fast. Irish and the lady can take care of themselves, wall crawler. Besides, I don't recall anyone asking you for suggestions. And I don't recall anyone asking you for anything, big mouth. That did it, chum. Snicked. 
And then Cyclops steps in with a Wolverine. <laughs> right. And the Nightcrawler gets between them. And he references when he uh, teamed up with Spider-Man before. Of course, we did that a couple of flashback episodes ago. And that was an amazing Spider-Man 162. You know what? I was wrong. The uh, the the good quip from Wolverine is a little bit further in. Right. So, disregard. Disregard. All right. So then uh, all the... Oh, wait. I'm sorry. No. They don't go in. There's an earthquake. So the X-Men and Spider-Man get knocked around by some seismic activity. And uh, the tremors have stopped. And the radiation screen is mm-hmm. getting brighter. And then uh, we switch inside. Banshee and Storm are flying around. And they get shot out of the air. And then someone mentally attacks Banshee. And he gets disoriented and runs into a wall. <laughs> Just, Kind of what you what isn't a thing you can do to birds so they don't fly right or like some high pitched noise or something. Probably so. Know. There's some something scientific. I, I'm not an ornithologist. I'm a. I was brought <laughs> I in as a Spider Man expert. <laughs> a spiderologist. Right. It, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so somebody takes out our heroes with the Chaos Wheel, and she has. Punisher skulls around her waist, wrist, and mid calves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and the really pun- odd boots. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, they're in the shadows, but they're uh, some kind of super villain, and um, they they knock our heroes out. But they're looking for someone else, the one, and neither of these two are the one. So we switch back to the X Men outside. And someone is coming out of the pit, walking through the rainbows. <laughs> oh, Cyclops says, use your, use your mind powers, Gene. Probe girl fast. Yeah, you know what I, I think is also really indicative of this era is everyone describes what they're doing. Like when they talk oh, with each yes, other. Yes, very much so. You know, they always are talking for the benefit of the audience, never how... You know, really, I mean, these people work together all the time. They know each other. Right. Are they really going to be talking to each other about the glory of getting to fly? And, <laughs> you know, no. shouldn't he just be able to say, hey, Gene, you know, you know what to do. Right. You know what to do. Little, little outcast for you there. All right. So basically, our uh, our Dosecki's friend comes out and his new game is... Game. I'm reading while I'm talking. His new name is Yamadharma and he is death. He zaps Colossus. Uh, Jean Grey can't do anything. Uh, Spider-Man tries to make a spider shield, but it doesn't really work. Yeah, and here's where you kind of, you know, if you were slow on the uptake, here's where you realize that those scientists have now become some sort of supervillains. Yes, so with godlike powers. Right, and, and Punisher skull boots. <laughs> yes. And uh, Wolverine... Um, Slices one of them, and inside of him is stars. Like his chest, the inside of his body is made up of space matter. See right there? Oh, I see it. Yeah. And then Wolverine, um, this part I'm not too sure about. We'll talk about it in the overall summary. But Wolverine gets scared and uh, starts panicking. And Spider-Man jumps in to try to save him. But suddenly there's this just obnoxious noise, even worse than Banshee's scream. 
and it's the chaos wheel again, and all the X Men get knocked out, and they recognize Jean Grey as the one. So we go to chapter four, a gathering of gods. So Jean Grey is now in her costume, and Spider-Man and the rest of the X Men are trapped in some kind of ionic bubble, or something. Uh, it's interesting that all the other X Men switch to their costumes already, except for Jean Grey. Right. Right. She, she was still in her uh, overcoat or whatever that thing was. Right. But now she is in her full phoenix garb. That's the green phoenix. Yes, yeah. Well, she. this is right after our uh, introduction of the actual phoenix as a character. So this is a brand new costume for her. And all our quote-unquote gods are standing around trying to get inside Jean's mind. So we find out that kind of what's going on is these guys, somehow because of the explosion and the radiation, I'm not really sure I followed this completely. So did the, the guy that was the scientist that was working on the stuff was a Hindu. Yeah, and he was. So while it exploded, was he was he praying to his gods, and that's why... Why they did came. they all become sort of Hindu gods? Right, right, and why not... You know, I think it's just, the, you know, the Christian god, there's only really one. I right. mean, three if you want to get really hyper into the whole <laughs> trinity concept. yeah. But, um, you know, Hindu, they've got lots of gods. And no one's really going to say, hey, now wait a second, they're, that's not really what that god does. Because, I mean, there's like a hundred of them. Right. So they felt like, oh, we can we can take some artistic liberty with one of the many Hindu gods. And, and I, I should state I am not a, a Hindu theology expert. No, so I'm any not of either. your not Hindu either. listeners, you know, just roll with it. Yeah, or, you know, write in uh, to the podcast and, and give maybe some clarification because it seems to me that some of this is a little bit ignorant of your religion. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, from, from what I've, you know, seen of listening to your podcast you welcome all hindu theologians oh yeah yeah obviously anybody who likes wolverine should be listening to this and that's where you find out that for some reason the one guy who narrated the whole section oh didn't i forgot become, about that he's the one that turned into a skeleton yeah he's the only one who didn't get hindu god powers he must not have been a, mo- a believer I, he, yeah clearly he's a westerner so i guess uh, i know there's more than eight hindu gods so that's it wasn't a it wasn't a matter of them running out of deities. Oh, no. I mean, they, they could have had a ninth. I yeah. think it's just that, you know, the the writer had this great idea for writing the detective noir style, but he needed that dynamic closing of, what do I care? I died, you know, right. whatever. All right, so I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I don't want to sound ignorant or anything, but... So having religious characters in comic books is a very uh, sticky wicket. Because by this point... <laughs> Are you chuckling about saying sticky wicket? Or that, that and what I'm about to say. At some point, I mean, all right, in the real world... Now, I've talked about this a little bit before, but this is just another example. In the real world, people believe different things. Okay? So say you're a Hindu... And I'm a Jew, which we, we'll go that because they're both hypotheticals. Neither of us are either of those. If I come to you and say, I think God, Jehovah, created the world and everything in it. And you say, no, I think there was a pantheon of gods. 
and then created the world and everything in it. I guess in theory, at the end of the day, when we die, one of us will be proven right or wrong. But as far as this life goes, I guess up to our own personal belief to decide how the world works. Okay. Because there's no one to prove it to us one way or the other in this mortal life. Okay. But in comic books, you're creating a universe, and it's a it's a expanded universe that includes all these heroes, all these characters that live and they inhabit the same world. When you write the creation story for the Marvel Universe, whatever that might be, it's not really a matter of faith in the Marvel Universe. Like in our universe, it's all about faith. Mm -hmm. We don't know for sure. And in the Marvel Universe, you can have people that have faith because that makes them relatable. Mm -hmm. Nightcrawler is a Christian. There are other characters that have other religious faith, some that are atheist, agnostic. You get the whole spectrum, and that's cool. It represents like all humanity. But when you write stories about how the world was created, if you're creating this universe, then what you write is actually what happens. Like, Nightcrawler can say, I believe in this, but if you say this, like, for example, that the Celestials created the Marvel Universe, then they created the Marvel Universe. Like, as far as Marvel goes, Spider-Man and the Colossus, whoever can believe what they want, but the actual fact is that the... Celestials made the place. So it's kind of hard to me when they have... I feel like... I guess what I'm getting at, long-windedly, is that throughout Marvel history, there's probably 20 to 30 different accounts of who made the world. Mm-hmm. And they can't all coexist in, in Marvel's real world. I'm following you. Yeah. So anyway, that's just my, my two cents on... I just wish they'd be consistent and say... God, aliens, whatever. This is this is our story, and we're sticking to it. Yeah, you know what's actually interesting about that too is that is back when they really strove, strove, strived. Strive. I don't know which one. Yeah, you know, they really strove. worked hard to <laughs> actually try to make their universe whole and intact. Right, right, right. They had their. In fact, they had a whole line of comics called Marvel Universe to tell yeah, the history yeah. of every character and how they interact. And the editors would try to make sure this fit into the timeline. There's the whole no prize thing if you can blow a hole in it. And yet they allow Bill Mantlo to come around and say, this is how, you know, this universe began. And this, right. It, it is kind of better to just not let your wicket get that sticky. (laughs) Right. I agree. But anyway, for what we have, we have these personified Hindu gods and they want, I never really can tell exactly what their end goal was. Are they are they wanting to destroy the world and remake it? Is I think that... their end goal is basically to exist. And to do so, they need some massive amount of energy. And the only way they're going to get it basically is to quasi-eat the energy of the world. Okay, all right. And they need Jean Grey because for some reason they need one other person to help pull this all together. Well, see, that's another thing. Why they... would she? Why would a telepath... It's because of the Phoenix. Well, I know it's because of the Phoenix power, and she has almost godlike powers herself, so that makes sense. But why, if they needed the ninth, then why didn't the ninth take over the guy that turned into a skeleton? (laughs) You know, I blame Bill Mantlo. Oh, I I blame Bill Mantlo for putting this story. We'll get to that in a minute. All right, so basically, Jean Grey... (laughs) 
I actually kind of love this part. So basically the way the heroes get out of this bubble is the bubble was specifically designed to block all of their powers individually. Right. Which they're not in separate bubbles. They're all in the same bubble. Right? <laughs> Keep this in mind. They're all in the same bubble. But if Spider-Man, if Nightcrawler teleports and uses his power for somebody else, it breaks the bubble, but he it's, can't... It's not that he can't teleport. <laughs> he it's, just can't teleport he himself. He can only teleport, you know, to free himself, but if he's teleporting to free someone else, he can teleport, which frees himself. Right. But then... <laughs> uh, Believe it or not, I just explained the Bill Mantlo story. Right. But see, but he can't teleport himself. He has to teleport Banshee, because his power won't work on him. So he teleports Banshee out. And Banshee cannot break the barrier with his scream to free himself. can use his scream to free Colossus. And Colossus, who cannot punch his way out, punches in to get Cyclops. And the chain reaction... Right. Say, they all free each other. They all free each other when they could I love that Spider-Man uses themselves. his webs, which <laughs> isn't actually a power. No. This isn't the Sam Raimi version where the web is a mutant, a right. mutation. <laughs> right. The... The webs are, you know, this is science. You know, you know, you know what I think it is, though? It's, it's not scientists. It's um, psychosomatic. Okay. This field tricked the X-Men and Spider-Man to feel like they couldn't get out. But when they discovered their inner teamwork, they uh, were able to overcome their psychic obstacles and free each other. Yeah, there was a lot of power of teamwork in the 70s. Yes, yeah. So, so the power didn't actually free them. Cooperative spirit, dude. Amen. <laughs> All right. So we get a lot of pontification about... Um, yeah, there's these... almost no art on these two pages. It's basically a lot of word bubbles and people's eyes. Yeah, I got... I'm not going to lie. I got lost. Talking about their powers and their origin story. Uh, Wolverine, who knows that he can't cut the gods, tries to cut one anyway because he has a short temper. <laughs> Because such is the will of the Wolverine. So Wolverine decides that he has more willpower than the gods. Which, you know what, is probably true. <laughs> it's, I think that's it's actually probably, a good observation accurate. from yeah. Bill Mantlo. Right. So then Wolverine gets burnt by one of the other gods. All right, and then the, we, we have some exposition that these gods need Jean Grey to destroy the world. And then we get a really convoluted plan... To use everybody's <laughs> powers to stop the gods. The power of teamwork again. Yes, even more inexplicably. Somehow they they get the gods to cooperate with them. And basically they, they get a kumbaya circle. And uh, somehow Jean Grey touches a god, absorbs like his psyche, and shoots it up in the air. And yeah, then Nightcrawler... Was... Teleports it mentally, which, by the way, he cannot do. Yeah, this is really hard to follow. I just got super Basically, lost. in the end, they all do their bit so that Cyclops can blast them into space. Yeah, but then but Banshee's sonic scream combines with the optic blast and Wolverine's wind. Or not, I'm sorry, Storm's wind. And only Spider-Man and Wolverine and Colossus are kind of useless at this point. Are you, did we miss your, your barb? I think we missed uh, oh, okay. the good quip from um, 
Oh yeah, it's up here in the top. It, it's 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 worth noting the good quip from Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, they're lining up trying to figure everything out, and uh, Wolverine says, "You sure you don't want boys on one side and girls on the other, boss man?" <laughs> Giving Cyclops a hard time as he often did. Yeah, I like that. They're trying like to arrange Wolverine, the kumbaya circle. Yeah, and... I like how Wolverine though, as usual, because he's all about the action. So he's kind of pissed he's left out here. He's like. So what does that leave for me to do? <laughs> right, uh, you're going to watch Wolverine while the uh, more powerful mutants get the job done. Well, anyway, somehow this unique combination of powers that some of the X-Men don't actually have. <laughs> like Night- Nightcrawler cannot mentally teleport anything. Just- well, you know, Bill Mantlo's writing a Spider-Man story and just figuring out who to team up. He doesn't have... True. Who has time to research what your powers people <laughs> actually have? Not the Marvel office in the 70s. I guarantee you that. No. All right. Anyway, somehow all these gods get shot up into space. They find a new solar system with a new star. And they don't, they don't destroy anything. They actually, I guess, explode. It, it and sounds they, like they create be, a new yeah. star in the night sky. This sounds romantic, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so whenever you're with your partner and you're on a date and you're looking up, gazing at the stars, know that the X-Men gave you one of those via some uh, faux Hindu gods. Thanks, X-Men. Thank you, X-Men. All right. And then uh, Professor X comes in and says, oh, I forgot to mention a very important tidbit. The radiation spray only lasts for an hour. So, wow. So all of this happened within an hour. Well, and what's even more interesting, I don't want to get too far ahead of the story. Not well, only did this comes, happen in an hour, but the radiation spray oh, carries comes, into the it, next story. Yes, it does. We'll talk about that when we get there. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, I do want to say, though, uh, one of my favorite panels in the book, art-wise, is this last shot of Cyclops shooting his optic blast. It's actually really Where he's cool. in red silhouette, and he's got this yellow explosion behind him, and you see his laser shooting up into the sky and blowing up. It's pretty sweet looking. It actually it would make a pretty sweet door poster. Yeah, it would. If you took the narration off. Yeah, and, and you still used the door posters. Yes. <laughs> I haven't right. had a door poster since like 1991. So I, I do they still make door posters? I don't know. I mean, I know they still make posters because you can't go to Walmart without seeing some Biebs around. Yeah. Biebs posters. Yeah. Do you not do you not stop down and look at the Biebs posters? I don't. I don't. Missing out, man. I, yeah, I don't know. They used to be Justin Timberlake posters. Yeah. Right. Now, now, now it's, now all, it's all about the Biebs. Yeah. All right, so Professor X, we get another floating head. He tells them that luckily all the radiation left with them and is now off in space. <laughs> but hey, it doesn't matter. There's not other worlds out there, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> the Guardians <laughs> the, of the Galaxy might have the, something the to Shiara say about that. The Shiara like, what is going on? Where did all this radiation come from? But hey, we're clean. Thanos is growing a third eye. This is why Thanos gets so mad and tries to destroy the universe. We sent a bunch of radiation out there. Gave him those weird chin stripes. Thanos. <laughs> Are you just really not supposed to notice basically he's a differently colored scroll? 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's totally. so Hank Pym, Captain America, <laughs> the nineteen characters that all look exactly the same. Right, right. All right. So Professor X is also mind blocked. The X Men and Spider Man's actions, so they are free to leave and go home and carry out their business. All right. So before we move to the next issue, um, overall thoughts on that one. Yeah, I really feel like it was actually a pretty pretty decent story. I mean, there's a lot of ridiculousness that uh, a little plot in continuity, continuity. Uh, yeah. But uh, in general, you get some good 70s fun. You get your Cold yeah. War. You get your uh, Spider-Man banter. You get some good Wolverine banter. Oh, yeah. You. Yeah, definitely. And it's a... Uh, you said this is the first meeting of those yeah, two? Yeah, this is the first time they meet. Very, I mean, very historic, because that, that relationship continues to today. Yeah, and it's... And uh, it's pretty similar to how it starts off, which is pretty interesting. Oh, well, generally, you know, smart Alex don't get along. <laughs> right. They've, you know, each one is trying to be the smart Alec of the room, and, and they're smart Alex in such different ways, because, yes. you know... At heart, Peter Parker's still kind of a geeky do-gooder. Right. And at heart, Wolverine's kind of a beer-drinking, you know... <laughs> Troublemaker. Shishkabobber. Right. So, uh, you know, like, superpowers aside, they wouldn't be sitting around playing Super Tecmo Bowl together. Yeah, you know, they, they, they wouldn't be friends. Right. So it creates a good dynamic. Yeah. Thumbs up. Uh, well, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about this issue with you. I did not enjoy reading it very much. I thought there were too many holes in the story, and I thought the plot was kind of piss poor. I didn't really think the art was that great. A few panels no, aside, not. I thought the art was very mediocre. And I'm wondering if this was early I, in the career of Sal It's got to be, because by the time he gets to Spectacular Spider-Man, he has some pretty epic runs on that book. Yeah, he's at least... And, and his style is also a lot different by that point. So I think he just took a while to kind of separate himself from... Because it looks to me in this one that he's trying to draw like his dad. Yeah. Maybe maybe, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's kind of the impression I got. And I think later maybe he comes into his own as an artist. Yeah, well, I mean, in this, it's very just generic comic book art. It's yes. not... There's, there's no real creativity. There's no panel right. overlay. There's really... Other than that really cool shot of Cyclops that you referenced. Right. Uh... There's not a lot. It's as if you were reading it and going with the most standard like storyboard art you could for it. It's pretty. It's pretty yeah. straightforward. But there are guys by this point that are pretty dynamic. Um, Cockrum over in X Men is doing. He's not super consistent, but his good issues are good. And I feel like, as we're about to see, uh, John Burns kind of already established himself by this point as being oh, absolutely a, a pretty action oriented dynamic artist. So. I feel like Musima just hasn't, Sal that is, not John. Uh, Sal just hasn't quite caught up to the artist he would later become. No, the best art's definitely the cover yeah, of Cochran. Yeah, right, sure. Um, all right, so my pros were that I felt like Mantlo, for all his weaknesses in the story, got Spider-Man and Wolverine right. Yeah, his, his dialogue is not... His dialogue between characters is good. His, you know, characters' monologues where they describe everything they're doing, not so good. Yeah. And his writing at the beginning that I've mentioned before, the detective style, I thought was yeah, really was well cool. done. Uh, probably my biggest con, besides not understanding the ending at all, <laughs> was that I don't... 
I don't think it fit into Wolverine's character for him to be so scared after he cut the guy open. I, I would expect him to be surprised and maybe even a little worried, but I don't think he would show it. I don't think he'd be like, yeah. what? Oh, oh, I like turn away and like cower. Like, cowering is not really something you see Wolverine do very much. Even when he knows he's beat, he still acts tough. Yeah, no, he, he would have just figured he needed to slice a bigger hole in the right. guy <laughs> to let all that space out or something. He, right. I don't see him backing off like he did either. Yeah. I agree. All right, so uh, typically on the podcast, since it is a Wolverine podcast, we rate books by claws. And so from zero to three claws, and obviously when you're Wolverine, you want to have all your claws out, so three would be the best. So Marvel Team-Up Annual 1, what is your uh, claw rating? I think he's probably just going one middle claw. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I also gave it one out of three claws. It's so. not a zero. I mean, no, it's... there was enough fun stuff. And like I said, uh, I wasn't going to say this for them. We can go and talk about it. I feel like this, for being a first meeting and for being a writer who was not super awesome, <laughs> as Bill Mantlow, as far as, I mean, comparing him to, we've been reading Chris Claremont a lot. On, oh, there's no on there the is a huge gap. No, yeah. yeah, there's a huge gap there. All that considered, I feel like he really set the tone for how Wolverine and Spider-Man will interact for the rest of their life. This kind of like friend, friendly. I mean, kind of a little bit friendlier over time, but it's it's very much like a rivalry, like an antagonism. Mm-hmm. And he got that right out of the gate. And for what it's worth, either. Like Chris Claremont and uh, who was who was the guy that wrote Amazing during this time for so long? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay. Well, anyway, which is probably bad since I'm your resident Spider-Man <laughs> expert. That's okay. I think Lynn Wine was doing it for a while here, and there's someone after him that had a long run. When they knew Wolverine and Spider-Man, either they all just kind of got lucky again, or they actually went back to this issue to as a foundation of that relationship. And so, if, if that's the case. And that's a huge, like, thumbs up on Mantlo's uh, record. Well, yeah, what's, what's actually interesting is Spider-Man has a history of being fairly antagonistic to a lot of other superheroes. Right. Yeah, does. Other than, like... He's the, kind of a smart aleck. Like, the leader types, like the Professor X's and Cyclopses, he tends to get along with, because at heart, he's he's a student. He's right. a book nerd. He's so a... He needs a teacher. He responds to the teacher type differently than he does... Well, like he and Johnny Storm from the very beginning. Yes, extreme, two hotheads. Yeah, extreme yeah. antagonism. Very similar to his relationship with Wolverine. Yeah, it's the same thing with him and Iceman, too. Yeah. I, I think well, Wolverine, Iceman is Johnny Storm's exact opposite, yeah. who's exactly the same. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think part of it is it's probably a little bit of ego. I guess you could Spider-Man's say he, he's Johnny Storm's polar opposite. Polar opposite. Fighter and ice. I feel like there should be a, a hair metal riff going behind us right now. I'm going to be laughing about that one all night. <laughs> That's gold. That's gold. Podcast gold right there. That might get me back for a second visit sometime. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Your listeners are going to dig that. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so uh, we both gave Spider-Man, or not Spider-Man, Marvel team-up annual number one, one out of three claws. All right, so next up will be Marvel Team-Up number 53, and um, that's featuring Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk. But we kind of get the resolution of the last story, so I wanted to mention it. Um, Andrew, you want to kind of give us a, 
a run through on this one? Sure. So uh, I guess uh, following the format, the uh, the uh, powers that be that brought this one to you, you get uh, again Bill Mantlo writing the story. Oh, which he didn't write. He titanically tells us. He d- he really did. He did dyna- titanically tell <laughs> the story. Speaking of which, it was dynamically drawn by John Byrne. It was incredibly inked by Frank Gayakawa. Sure. <laughs> that might have been French. I think and, it looks Italian. I don't know. It and you get the fine it. editing of Archie Goodwin again. So some yes. of the same cast as the previous, some new ones. Oh, and uh, John Byrne's a big step up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a huge step up. And this is actually John Byrne's first chance to draw the new X-Men team. Yes. So, so it's also his first time in drawing Wolverine, which is a pretty big deal because he is one of the gold standards of drawing early Wolverine. So, I mean, he's kind of one of the gold standards of drawing a lot of people. He's, yeah, he's yeah. kind of comic Especially book royalty. His late 70s and early 80s stuff is still some of my favorite art. I mean, when you get to the names that were responsible for this issue, he's his is really the only one that stands out. I want to down. <laughs> I don't want to downplay Archie Goodwin. I'm sure he's a very good editor in his own way. Yeah, but uh, John me, Byrne's the biggest name yeah. here. To me, and and I'm very, I'm very, very respectful of the comic book business. But to me, an editor is kind of like a referee. You only really notice them when they mess up. <laughs> Yeah, they. Like and that, if an editor is really poor, you can tell. If you, I think I feel like if an editor is doing a really good job, you don't really draw attention's not drawn to him. Yeah, my 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 frame of reference for editors for this era is essentially they jump in to explain continuity issues. They put a right. little box at the bottom to say. Well, you know, for those of you who are confused, this happened between Fantastic Four number 12 and, you know, they let you know why right. this is not a technical mistake. <laughs> right. So then going, you know, going back to the cover, it's a it's a pretty uh pretty exciting cover. You got I think Hulk, so. you got Spider-Man, you get Wood Guy. Why don't you talk about this cover, Jason? I I like the colors a lot. And I don't know, I think Burn does the colors too. You know, he might. It doesn't specifically point out a colorist. Oh, yes, it does. Here we are. Oh, it's further down. I left off some people. Excuse so, me. And it's funny because the, this extra column is headed by not to mention. Yeah. So apparently I read you know, that is don't mention them. Right. <laughs> uh, so there were lots of letters by Joe Rosen. Stan, he's a pretty standard letterist from this era. <laughs> yes, he is. Definitely. And colorful colors by Don Warfield. Another Warfield. Pre- he's a pretty standard name as well for this right. era. And he does okay. a really really good job on this. So I'm guessing he probably colored the cover too. I think the co- the the fade from red to yellow in the background of this cover looks really sweet. I love John Burns Hulk. So and just it's a pretty dynamic cover. Some good action as uh Hulk is smashing his way through Spider Man and Pan. That that's a that's Wood God. Oh okay. Wood God <laughs> he's he's a little bit more muscular than Pan. That's that's yes, how you know the does, difference. It does appear that way. Uh, you know what John Byrne does really well with Hulk is the facial expressions. Yes, my goodness. Yes, you, you really feel like you're looking at a hulked out Bruce Banner, right? Not as just some generic faced green monster. Right. Well, he he kind of starts with the Hulk. I I won't say for sure he was the first person to ever do this, but he was the first person I ever really noticed. 
that gives the Hulk really unkempt hair. And just, just everything about him seems more out of control. Right. Which I, just, I really like that, that a lot. That's what the Hulk's supposed to be. Yeah, definitely. All right. All so, right. Uh, quick note on Bill Mantlo. Because I was like, when I, when I read these two issues, I, I again, I'm going to lose some comic book cred. But I said, who who is Bill Mantlo? I don't know this guy. I only remembered him because he assisted Lynn Wine and Chris Claremont on some of the early stories of these new X-Men. Okay. But he, he just, I guess, kind of contributed to stories. He didn't write any of the actual scripting. Yes, yeah, so I kind of, I, I did a quick Wikipedia lookup right. and made no notes from it, really. But basically, he, uh, <laughs> you know, he did some comic book stuff. I think he didn't get along well with some management and stuff like that. Okay. He, uh, he then went to law school. Oh, which started wow. really cutting into his comic book writing time. Yes, I, that is pretty busy stuff. Then he got hit by a car. Oh, had wow. some massive head trauma, and he and went back to write Marvel Team Up Anno Number One. <laughs> Surprisingly, no, he did that pre head. Oh, that was trauma. pre head trauma. Okay, yeah. So like he like lives in I think like assisted living now because of brain oh. damage from this car incident. So it's kind of a sad story for Bill oh, Mantlo. Are you, are you trying to make me feel bad for making fun of him? You kind of did. Yeah, okay. you really should. Well. You should write letters to his family and apologize. Okay. <laughs> but in all seriousness, you know, all our best to Bill well, Mantlo. Yeah, obviously, as a person, I want him to do as well as he can. Yeah. But not so, not to get well enough to write more comic books? Or is that what you're saying? Or are you saying you do hope that he can pick up where he left I, off? I think we're good where we're at. Am I reading into what you're saying? Put, putting some very malicious words in my mouth. So, okay. Uh, so, we'll so, st- so the comic here. And so basically right here on the first page, you actually get a really cool art shot on the opening page. Yeah, I like the Spider-Man in the clouds. Yes, they do the kind of the the multi-level picture where Hulk is jumping into a a town in New Mexico. Literally. Literally jumping into because that's how... From somewhere. That's where Hulk... That's how how Hulk traveled. Yeah. By jumping uh, miles at a time. And they got the kind of opaque Spider-Man giant in the background. So you understand this is going to be a Spider-Man story. He's going to come in. Eventually. It's really pretty cool looking. And then they have an inset panel saying guest starring Wood God. It looks like his IMDb picture. It, it's totally, <laughs> that's that's what it is. Um, and basically, they drew his face how a lot of Wolverine pictures were drawn in that era. Yeah. So he's kind of like a Wolverine pan combination. Okay. I got to tell you, the biggest mistake this story made was using Wood God. Whew. He was a chore to read. Yeah, he, he's a terrible character. <laughs> and, you know, my first thought was, okay, this must be, like, they just created this character. They needed a throwaway character for this story, so they made up Wood God. And it's even more grievous because I, I, I you know, in my extensive, extensive research preparing for this podcast, uh, I found out Wood God had made a prior appearance. So... It wasn't just a bad decision to create this character. They knowingly used this character in conjunction with Hulk, which means you get Hulk dialogue from this era, the Hulk smash era, and you mix him with Wood God, who basically talks exactly like Hulk. Yes, he does. It drove me nuts. It's really tedious. So, 
All right, without further ado, we'll get a little yeah. further into I think here. I think Wugdow is one of those guys that John Byrne really liked and wanted to make big, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, it it's a... John Byrne kind of has some of those nature-based characters yeah. and mythological stuff that, that he really wanted people to like, and, and sometimes it worked, and sometimes it was Wugdow. <laughs> yeah, and basically he's a fawn on steroids. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He's a hulked out... Yeah, is it fawn, is that what they're called? Yeah, fawn. They got goat the legs. Goat men, yeah. For those of you non... See, he should have at least talked like Goat Boy from SNL. That like, would have been oh, great. Oh, man, man. <laughs> yeah, and, and that didn't happen at all. No. If they would have at least drawn out his A's, I would have been more forgiving. Right. Okay, so this, this does pick up right where the other one left off from a Spider-Man standpoint. This other one, it feel, I feel like they're picking up in the middle of another story going on here in New Mexico. Yeah, I'm wondering what, you know, I, I don't have very many of these, including I don't have number 52. So I don't know if Hulk was involved in that story or not. Right, maybe that was a Hulk story and this is picking up there and then they're going to reinsert Spider-Man yeah, into it. I don't know. All right, so you get into the next story. Hulk lands there. Hulk's kind of depressed. He doesn't see any humans, which he likes because that's the puny human era of Hulk. I've got some stuff for you on that one. Yeah, so he, you know, he doesn't really like uh, like humans there. So he's landing. He's getting going about his business. He's trying to figure out why does this town smell funny? You, you know, which we'll find out here in a little bit that the town is all covered in radiation, nerve right. gas, yeah. which is why the town smells funny. You know, kind of crazy for the era is that they have a corpse, which, uh, you know, generally this is still the comic book era where, you know, violence is still kind of comic booky. But, you know, when Hulk's looking around trying to figure out why aren't there any people in this town, he opens up a truck and a dead guy falls out. And it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit disturbing for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So while you can normally let your kids read the 70s era Cold War comics, uh, you know, Hulk shaking the dead corpse of this guy. It's a little... It's like John Byrne captured it. So then all of a sudden, you know, you're watching Hulk do this stuff. He's looking around. He's decided, you know, hey, this is Hulk's town. There's nobody around. I'm, I own this town. And then you get Wood God jumping out here. Nice body hair on that guy, by the way. You know, he does. His shoulder hair is particularly interesting because instead of it just being like, hey, this dude's hairy. Right. He's got like little wings of fur on his shoulders. <laughs> They're really reminiscent of Wolverine's head hair. The wing, you know, the the tall wings, but the They're fins. on his shoulders. Yeah. You know, and of course, his, his goat legs. And, you know, Hulk does what Hulk always does. <laughs> he throws a car door at he him. He throws a car door at him. <laughs> and here's where I first said, okay, I'm not familiar with Wood God. But Wood God just, you know, kind of whaps away uh, the car the car door like he it's liter- nothing. Literally with a whap. It says whap. Yeah. yeah. With an H, which is, is only half whap. silent. And, and Wood God says something interesting here. He says, you know, Green Man tries to hurt Wood God to make him feel the scream. The scream. And you you know, you actually have to read several pages to understand what is yeah, Wood I, God talking about. Yeah, it took me a while about. to catch on with that, too. But really, so so you want to tell what the scream is? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the scream is his word for pain. So the only thing I can think of is maybe he has an alter ego that was a neuroscientist. And he's referring to the fact that your pain receptors scream to your brain when you feel pain. I, I don't know. 
You know, on an interesting side note, here <laughs> I in love side notes. here in Jason's podcast <laughs> studio, there's actually a reproduction of the painting, <laughs> yes, the scream is. on the wall. It's the one that was stolen. So uh, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's just a print. Yes, it's just a print. <laughs> but, you know, so that's uh, make, you know personalizing this for the for the listening audience that uh, Jason has the scream and Wood God fears the scream. Yes, that's why he's trembling this whole episode. Yeah, and so anyway, that's where the story's going on. So you're. Then you get a couple of pages of advertising, which is very common for the this era of comics. Then you're going to get to a really cool shot. Uh, it's a, a shot of the whole X-Men team in one of their little uh, jet... What, what do they call it? What do the X-Men call their jets? I don't remember. I think they actually... This one came from Reed Richards, I think. Because it looks so, like a Quinjet, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Or not Quinjet. What do they call that? Yeah, the Quinjet, Quinjet. from okay. Avengers. Yeah. Yeah, it looks kind of like a Quinjet. So, um... You get the whole X-Men except for the Flyers. They fly by it because why would they need a break? All right. <laughs> and there was no room for Spider-Man to sit well, in it. Especially so Banshee because he has to scream the whole time. <laughs> you know he's landing like, give me a cough drop, please. Um, I think Sp- doesn't, Sp- doesn't Spider-Man actually make that joke about I owe you a lozenge? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah. Yeah, and they, you know, there was no room for Spider-Man no. in the Quinjet. He has to crouch on the hood. <laughs> when he uses spider sticky powers. And he makes one of his little jokes, because they even joke about how, oh, poor Spider-Man's got a ride on the hood. And yeah. he's like, I'm going to send you the cleaning bill for all the bugs in my costume. Ha ha. Right. And then... Uh, so you want to do our, our uh, dramatic reading? Yeah, oh yeah, because we get some, we get some good... We get the... Uh, Wolverine has like basically... Three seconds in this, and he's yeah, out. Since yeah. it's a Wolverine podcast, we should definitely focus on him. So while Spider-Man is crouched on the the hood of the jet, apparently they're not going very fast because they can. They, there's a lot of conversation going on. Yeah, <laughs> so it must not be very loud. And it's amazing that they can hear it over Banshee screaming, right? Because he's yeah. part of the dialogue, so you know he was yelling it. Yeah, I think your group leader. Uh, where it's so hard to read it that far away. Yeah, pull it up, man. All right. I think your group leader realizes that the rest of you could have had a hard time clinging out here red. He calls Banshee red, even though the colorist <laughs> made Banshee's hair orange. It's yellow. It's not, it's, I think red is an Irish thing. Yeah. It's an Irish nickname. Uh, but I hope you're, he's going to pay the dry cleaning when it comes time to get the splattered bugs off my costume. Complaint, Spider-Man. We could have let you walk home. So, so the uh, the... <laughs> The not really joking animosity continues. Right. But of course, Cyclops, the voice of reason, jumps Always. in with his. Uh, and we would have been walking with him, Wolverine, if Phoenix hadn't psychokinetically summoned the X shuttle oh, to pick us okay. up. So this is the X this shuttle. This is the X shuttle. For All you right. X-Men fans of the 70s trying to visualize this, yes. they're in the X shuttle. The X shuttle that apparently you have to drive up to, or stand up to drive. Yeah, yeah, Scott's got to be exhausted by now. Yeah. All right, so basically that's what's going on. Uh, that was so, for for the first John Byrne X-Men here, what do you think about it? You know, great action of Storm flying. Really cool. Uh, yeah, I think her face looks a little weird. Her face looks a little weird. It's a little... Um, but this is before, I think really what, what Byrne did here 
from my my personal opinion and having gone through all these issues kind of in order. And it looks like instead of designing the characters his way, which he will do when he starts drawing the actual Uncanny X-Men book, he kind of just took Cockrum's version of the X-Men and just drew them. Kind of like that. Because that's very much how Cockrum drew Storm's face. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the face. I love what he did with the cape. Yes, that looks really sweet. And the action of her body, the way she's kind of angled. You got the foot trailing off behind. Right, yeah, that looks really cool. It's well done. uh, His banshee looks like a yellow-headed Sean Connery, which is pretty sweet. (laughs) Yeah, Wolverine's cow looks a little more three-dimensional. The Cockroom cow looked very much like it was two flaps on the front of his head. Yeah, Whereas this one actually looks like it wraps around a little bit. And they've got that kind of cool, the, the downward tilt of Wolverine's head. Yeah. Head, it's got a cool look to it. You can't really see much of Nightcrawler. He's just sitting down in the front seat. <laughs> right. Yeah, so apparently, all right, so is Wolverine like sitting on top of a seat? Like, yeah. seems very dangerous. Yeah, well, I mean, he's Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, he lives on the edge of danger. Yeah, if he falls, he figures, you know, he'll he'll recuperate. We don't have a healing factor yet. He didn't? Oh, that hasn't that. been mentioned. Okay. So yeah. it hasn't been mentioned. I mean, obviously he's got it. He's got it, obviously. He wouldn't have yeah. survived the adamantium experiment. Right, right. They right. just haven't made a big deal about it yet. Nope, okay. It has not been introduced. Well, that's, that's fascinating. So, uh, you know, Spider-Man makes another one of his jokes about, you know, he's happy to get the ride as long as he's getting... To fly student rates. <laughs> uh, then uh, here's where they realize there's a problem. They get a little, you know, chat on their X shuttle. Uh, Atari screen. Atari screen. <laughs> it is very Atari screen. All right, so I don't know if John Byrne did this on purpose or not. But we kind of get where Wolverine pops just the end of his claws. And we get a snick without a T. Like, almost like he cut the sound short to match the short protrusion of the claws. And I don't know if he just didn't know that Snicked had a T in it or if he was actually trying to say something there. I think he's trying to say something because I think, I think the cool. T is the sound of them going full extension. Okay, gotcha. All right. And like they I hit the end, so it's Snicked. Yeah, and the all right. T is when they stop. They there reach that go. full extension. It's like I, they lock into place. I did not think of that, but I like that explanation. That's yeah. cool. So, uh... That's why I pay you the big bucks. Yeah, I know. I, 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 you got Shiner I got Premium. Shiner premium. Not, not regular Shiner Premium. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Uh, Wolverine, you want to you read the Wolverine here? Because it's kind of a nice little... Uh, All right, so Nightcrawler's trying to figure out what the thing on the screen is. And Wolverine says, it's probably an exterminator. Come to get the blasted bug man off the bumper. I mean... <laughs> Spider-Man doesn't even get name rights. No. He's yeah. just the bug man. The bug man with the exterminator. Wolverine's <laughs> oh, really clever in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, Spider-Man responds in classic Spider-Man style. I can see why they let you join this team, Wolverine. You're more laughs than a bad case of heartburn. <laughs> So, uh, not the best Spider-Man joke ever. No, no, it's really not. Yeah. You know, Bill Mantlo. Bill Mantlo. That's, that's what he, what's what he had. He worked with what he had. May his brain rest in peace. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Bill Mantlo, if you're listening, I totally respect you. 
I mean, how many comics have you written, Jason? <laughs> none, was, none that have been published. He literally was writing comics before you were born. Yes, he was. So, for your listening audience, you were yeah. not alive in I 19... You have, this was the beginning of you 77, You put me though, in my right? place, Andrew. Yes, January 77. So, yeah. I was going to make some comments that I'm going to choose yeah. to, <laughs> <just> to <laughs> hold those in check. All right, so we got some flying uh, hover bike dudes. Yeah, here we get, we get a really pretty another cool uh, burn art on page eleven where there's multiple uh, bogeys yeah, coming I in and attacking the X shuttle, and uh, Cyclops has got to sit and you know basically save the day. Yeah, and it's really pretty cool because it's it's like a still shot, but you see that he's turned his head and shot multiple like blasts in succession. It looks really cool. You have like the faded eye beams, and then the last one's solid. And they've all hit their mark. But the next two panels are really cool, too. Because then you see the one you missed. And this explosion, which... You have to help me out with this explosion here. But but the panel looks awesome. The Batum? Well, yeah, I mean, what does the missile hit? That it doesn't blow up the, the X-Shuttle, but it blows up something. And it knocks Spider-Man off. Like, what? Is it like the torpedo where it just blows up at a certain time regardless? Like, it's not impact? Yeah, it's not really clear. Okay. But, uh... It clearly didn't hit Spider-Man. I mean, he has no, no real super invulnerability. No, but the force knocks him off the shuttle. The Batum. Yeah, the Batum. It's very, it's very Batman TV series-ish. <laughs> yes. Batum. Batum. You then, some cool 70s Marvel t-shirts here. You know, they're pajamas. You can get... Oh, yeah. On, I yeah. had... Maybe not an exact pair, but I had a sky blue pair of Spider-Man pajamas. That is nice. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, today, you can go to any Target and find superhero clothes. Right, yeah, but not back then. Back then, you really couldn't. You had to basically order through a comic book if you wanted to yeah. get some pretty sweet and by uh, the time we style were, pajamas. By the time we were kids, it was more common. I don't think my parents ordered anything out of a comic book. No, and I didn't, uh, I didn't really have any of this. I did have a pretty sweet Mr. T sleeveless shirt. Of course, well... You show me a Mr. T-shirt with sleeves and I'll show you a liar. <laughs> yeah. Marms did look pretty amazing in it. All 30 pounds. Of I, I bet. <laughs> I was rocking that shirt. <laughs> I was bringing the pain. Right. All right. So the Spider-Man's fallen. And he's, what's, what's really kind of cool about this is anytime anyone's in danger of falling in this comic, <laughs> there are spikes <laughs> that they're falling towards. Perpetual spikage. Every time. Apparently, everywhere near New Mexico is nothing but spikes. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who are thinking about, you know, free falling. in New Mexico. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't fall from Watch anything. out for the spikes. That's all I got to say. And luckily, Banshee swoops in and catches him at the last minute. Yes, Banshee's good at that. He does that to Cyclops all the time. And you almost feel like that's his only role with the team, <laughs> is to catch people. Because when does Banshee ever get a starring role? Basically, well, he catches er- people. Yeah, one of the early X-Men, he, he inexplicably uses Sonic Scream as sonar to find a room inside a mountain, which I don't really think that works. But... um. Well, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So I guess there was nobody to catch at that moment. He's yeah. like, well, "I better make my better make myself useful." <laughs> Laddie. 
I do think in this era, especially, they really overplay the Irish thing. I mean, that that's a Claremont thing to a T, though. He was all about because he's the one that made Nightcrawler and Colossus sprinkle in German and Russian words. Yeah, and well, I mean, that makes sense. It's just it's it's a way to stretch their dialogue muscles yeah. as a writer, and it's a way to try to distinguish the characters and give them. Because you can't hear their accents. Yeah, I guess in so all you fairness... Have to, you have to do things like that so that you know they sound different and, and talk it, different. And in all fairness, I mean, you do have new readers reading all the time. They don't know yeah. who Banshee is. So, yeah. they, you know, they read a little bit of Zoller. They're like, oh. He's Irish. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got that or he know. confuses everybody with a, you know, a schoolboy. Right. <laughs> we get another awesome... John Burns storm cape as she lands on the ground there. Yeah, he really does great work with her cape. It's pretty yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. You know, I, I don't recall seeing that in a lot of the other art no, for her. The, the Cochrane cape is, well, honestly, it's a lot smaller. So you don't get the opportunity to, to get all the giant folds and stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you were going realism, if her cape was really as long as it looks in oh, this picture, yeah, she'd be dragging she'd six have holes in it. It, it. She would need a, a flower girl to follow her <laughs> and hold up the train. Why Storm always getting married? So then we're going to cut to them looking at the little Atari screen again, and they see that the Hulk is fighting, you know, the uh, the wood nymph. Yes. In this town, and there's a, hey, somebody needs to go in and do something about it. And Spider-Man's like, hey, that's the Hulk. And while, you know, everybody else is like, hey, that's a big green monster, he knows it's Bruce Banner. Because right. apparently there's enough history that he's yeah. aware of the story. And he doesn't want anything bad to happen to Bruce Banner because he's, you know, a great scientific mind. And again, Spider-Man's all about the scientists. So... You know, Banshee basically says, like, oh, okay, well, you know, hey, I can, this is nearby. How convenient. I'll, I can carry you. Because the X-Men can't detour. They've got to yeah, go then, about then their business. Then you get home. Then you get back to New York and do X-Men stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it, clearly there's a need for that. So right. Banshee's like, well, I could carry you, then I can catch up. Because that's what I do. I catch people and I carry people. <laughs> right. I'm now twice as useful as I was before. <laughs> Uh, you know, and there's something I forgot to mention earlier that's just great. It's so classic Hulk from this era in that opening panel where he's walking around the town. Yeah. Uh, I love that Hulk from this era always talks to himself. Oh yeah. Constantly. He's a, ch- he's a regular chatterbox. Man. I know it's, 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 it's really interesting that he hates people so much. Right. You think he would want somebody else to talk to. No, he's. He just loves to talk. And it's really because he talks third person, he really doesn't need anyone else. <laughs> He's his own companion. Um, and, you know, and you got, so the, the end of this panel, you get the great Hulk and Wood God are now battling and talking it, the same language. Yeah, they, they talk exactly like each other. You know, Hulk smash, Wood God fill the scream. Right. Uh, very, again, very tedious. I, but, wrote, I wrote on my notes that. Hulk and Wood God having a conversation makes me want to scream. It, it does. It really does. And be and what's clearly, as near as I can tell from reading two of his comics, traditional Bill Mantlo style, <laughs> is in this scene, this should be like Hulk grabs something, hits Wood God. I mean, it should be just... It should be brawling right away. It should be super fast. I mean, you're yeah. talking about guys that move at 
you know, extremely fast pace. Right. But they have time to have like a three minute conversation <laughs> between every blow. Right. Right. I I love this. Puny human with horns and funny goat legs makes Hulk <laughs> mad. Tries to take Hulk's town from Hulk. For that, Hulk will smash. You want to read Wood God here? Scream is taking you, Green Man. The way Scream took Wood God's mother and father. The way Scream tried to take Wood God. But I did not let Scream take me, Green Man. I fought Scream. And man... <laughs> that's awfully weird slang for him. When he came in his ships bringing pain to Wood God. Uh, we can stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Although th- this is a good observation by the Hulk. Bah, Goatman talks as much as puny humans. <laughs> Makes Hulk mad. So, I mean, that's basically their dialogue goes on for pages of that kind of dialogue. Right. Uh, Wood God gets ticked off. I wouldn't say their fight looks cool. Yeah, that's the thing is the art's really pretty cool. It was pretty action-packed. There's some good yeah. Watrams and Swats and yeah. uh, people flying around. Well, this, this panel of Hulk getting electrocuted is awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, to set that up, Hulk's holding a truck over his head because he's decided, you know what? I'm going to hit Wood God with an 18-wheeler. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? If I, I mean, if I could pick up 18-wheelers, I mean, look out. I'd be smashing everybody. Yeah. But, you know, while Bruce Banner is a scientist, Hulk doesn't understand how electricity works. Well, I, don't think he, I don't think he realizes in their fight they broke the telephone pole. No, in fact, it says that, that even if he had known, you know, he probably wouldn't have noticed the, uh, right. you know, the hanging electrical wire that touches the 18-wheeler he's holding over his head. Right. And what are the results, Andrew? They're electrified. <laughs> In fact, their Zestrow is the big word on the screen. Wow. But to your point, I mean, this is a sweet picture. The Hulk yeah. is, whole, you know, you see him with his hands over his head. It's kind of squatting. He was holding the truck. Yeah. Great, cool color in the background. Oh, yeah, and the shadow's awesome. Yeah, it's a really, it's, I mean, it's T-shirt material picture. He has all five of his toes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, you, how often do you really get... Uh, it's just a really prominent view of his toes. I don't yeah. know why, why that struck me. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, you know, and again, traditional Hulk, purple pants, uh, torn purple pants. I did wonder, like, I was trying to think about this because I, I actually grew up a pretty big Hulk fan. When I first got into comics, uh, like so many younger kids, I got into the Hulk because... Right. I mean, who doesn't like the biggest, strongest guy in the room? The, the strongest there is. Uh, he, according to him, apparently yeah. Wood God's almost equally as strong. Yeah, I don't like it when lame characters rival in power to the cool uh, characters. Right. It's I, not, that really bothers me. But, uh, you know, I got into him. So, I mean, I've, I've observed that in this era, basically from the 60s to 70s, probably on into the 80s, he always is wearing torn purple pants when he turns oh, yeah. into the whole. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I'm trying to I was trying to figure out like is this is there a historical context was there like Ever a, a time in history where we wore purple pants like that that's like all there was <laughs> because or did you know is it just that you're supposed to assume as a scientist Bruce is like well I've got to I don't really want to think about clothes I'm just going to buy a whole bunch of the same thing right so I always know really I'm matching big. 
And he found like a great deal on like a surplus bulk of purple pants. I do have a, I know it's a comic book. Should I be griping about reality? Uh, uh, Try it. In reality, Hulk's waist is like 37 inches bigger than Bruce Banner's waist. Yeah. Shouldn't Hulk be naked? Yeah, but there's a comics code to worry about. And it it was more stringent in those Nobody days, Nobody wants a big green dong flopping around in a comic book. <laughs> I wasn't going to go so graphic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, seriously, the purple pants shouldn't even still be here. Yeah. They should have torn off along. Unless, you know, he was a scientist. Maybe he found some sort of... Uh, well, the X-Men have costumes made out of Reed Richards' unstable molecules. And maybe... So maybe... Dr. Banner got some unstable purple pants. And that's and maybe that's why they're purple. They only come in purple. <laughs> he Reed, didn't figure out Reed how Richards to make. was like, okay, you can have a bunch of pair of these, but I'm not giving you the black pinstripe ones. Right. Uh anyway, that's a little side observation. Right before we turn the page, in all of the Hulk dialogue and the third person and stuff, we get the hulkiest dialogue ever. Where he says, What's wrong with Hulk? Nothing. Hulk is Hulk. <laughs> That's true because Hulk is starting to feel a little dizzy. Right, right. Because what you're about to find out is that the There's town a is large full of amounts nerve of radiation. Yeah. Oh yeah, nerve gas. Not radiation, radiation, nerve gas. I think they mix the two because the radiation spray works on the nerve gas. Oh what yeah, if- yeah. By the way, all of this is still happening within that hour for right. Spider-Man and Banshee. And here you get the rare four pages of advertising before you get back to the story. Because they had to fit in a panel about the Howard the Duck comic. Which looks really big. Was it really thick? That's the Treasury Edition. Okay. And this is still like, what, at least five to ten years before the Howard the Duck movie came out. Well, the movie killed the comic, so... It would have had to have been before the movie. Wasn't the comic kind of fated to die anyway? Well, eventually, yeah. I mean, kind of like Spider-Ham, I guess. Spider-Ham always lives in my heart. (laughs) Yes, it does. I love Spider-Ham. Okay, so after Hulk gets electrocuted, he uh, succumbs to the power of electrocution plus nerve gas, and he reverts back to Bruce Banner. I love John Byrne's transformation, how you actually see like the in-between. Because you don't get very many shots of that in the old days. Like, you see the clothes ripping, like from the old TV show, Mm -hmm. but he kind of is in Banner one panel and Hulk the next. So like this in between when John Byrne is really really cool. I, you know, I think if anything, you would see him like in between turning into the Hulk, right. not regressing. And right. uh, uh, you know what? And and because basically the way the colors does is you have his hand is turning peach, but it still has green spots on it. Yeah, and the face is somewhere in between the two. Yeah, it's getting smaller. Yeah. Anyway, I just I really really dug that. Yeah, I like that too. You know, so then Wood God finds him and it's like. What the heck? Who? What is this? Uh, why is the green man now? Why dude whose pants mysteriously still fit? <laughs> okay, so meanwhile, you got a meanwhile here right. elsewhere. Elsewhere. Banshee is carrying Spider-Man they to the town. They find some more spikes. Yeah, and here's the thing is, I love that it's not until they're flying over more of these spikes that Banshee suddenly realizes, oh dang, I'm too tired to carry you anymore. <laughs> 
I didn't notice this when I was starting to get tired and I could set you down. Right. Now that we're over these spikes, I'm going to be too tired and I'm going to drop you <laughs> and fall out of the sky myself. Right. We're going to, I'm going to impale us both. So, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, Spider-Man spins his web to save them both from falling. Yeah, he makes like a little hammock. And then basically, <laughs> he makes a hammock for them to fall into. Yeah. And then Banshee's like, deuces, Spider-Man, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> He's not too tired to fly away. Right. He actually looks pretty energized. I think the sitting on the webbing for like a few seconds just got a second win. Yeah, it, it is really funny that he's so tired he collapses from the sky just to turn around and fly yeah. away. And Spider-Man's like, all right, cool, see you later, man. And I, I, got, I know I've talked about it like nine times now. I love the ads from this era. Yeah, I do too. That they, they're so typical of, they know their audience. They oh, know their typical yeah, they young man, young... I, yeah. I don't want to sound sexist, but it was generally young oh, man. Yeah, mostly this at this time, yeah. Uh, like their karate advertisements. Yeah. How to write poems to how, win your women. How to get a switchblade switch comb. <laughs> Which I had. I did too. I had I a switchblade comb. And I loved pulling it out oh, and yeah. just doing the, the two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the greaser move. Got to move back the two wings of your. Uh, a cartoon instruction book. How to draw cartoons. It's just, it's fantastic. Muscle building stuff. Giant toy monsters. A special investigator kit, so you can be an ace detective. Well, I mean, that, that you had to be. I wonder if that badge carried much sway on the playground. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Between that and your, you know, Captain Midnight decoder ring, right? You were, you're pretty much ruling it. Yeah. So okay, so Spider-Man's trying to figure out. Oh, hey, now I'm supposed to be dead because this whole area is supposed to make me dead. Oh, it must be the irradi- the radiation spray I got is still helping me this, stay alive. Th- they've done a whole lot in an hour, is all I'm saying. And Banshee flew so long he got exhausted. Yeah. And ba- Not basically, to mention they fought the whole battle with the Hindu guys. They fought the battle. They flew away. Uh, Banshee carried Spider-Man. They collapsed on the spikes. Unless they're saying that Banshee is such a wimp. I mean, you'd think he carried him at least a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, they actually say how many miles it is. I forgot. Was it like 30 or 40-something miles? I think there's a continuity issue here. Yeah. Or maybe the radiation spray was just more powerful than that scientist Yeah, maybe realized. he undersold himself. It's a very real possibility. So anyway, you get a shot. You know, there's these kind of government official types that... Yeah. You know, they're, they're up to no good. You don't really know what they're up to because we jumped into the middle of the story here. Right. But you get the feeling they're up to no good. Wood God hits a, one of their little aircrafts with a telephone pole. And so, question. Do you know? These all have numbers on them. Like the aircrafts are like one. We had one earlier that was a seven. And I think there was a three somewhere. Are these related to the Secret Empire, you think? You know, I don't know. I've... I really kind of feel like we jumped into the middle of a story yeah, I think that we, we don't too. really know about. The, really, other than the good artwork, this this does really have great artwork. Yeah, oh yeah, totally. I kind of feel like overall, this is like an in between comic, which is okay. not you know in that area you don't get that a lot. You get a lot of a self contained story. Right. I kind of feel like this one is bridging the gap between two comic books. 
you know, other okay. than the fight between Wood God and Hulk, there's not really a lot that happens here. No, there's really not. Well, I guess we should save that for the wrap-up. But anyway, yeah. so Spider-Man meets the government types. He basically doesn't like them. He feels like, oh, great, I'm kind of in that position where... You know, I don't even really know who's right and wrong in this right. era, but I still so want to web up everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Let God sort them out. Right. <laughs> web them all. All right. So I, I do have to stop down because this. I skipped this one. This was in the annual too. Yeah. We this have is a incredible Hulk hostess fruit pie. Advertisement. Yeah. This is one of my favorite things is the advertisements from this era that were little comic books. Yes. So it's basically, it looks like it's a comic strip, but it's really the Hulk advertising for Hostess fruit pies. Right. Which are the best fruit pies. Probably, yeah. Because they had the sugar coating. Rest in peace, Hostess. Yeah. Uh, pour one, I'll, I'll pour out a little shiner in a little while for the Hostess <laughs> homies. I love how it's the Incredible Hulk and the green thumb. Because his thumbs are actually green. Right. Yeah. But, you know, he finds a giant poison ivy type plant lady and shakes fruit pies out of her pot. <laughs> Basically, right? Yeah, and it's all in one page. I mean, they they tell the whole story in one yeah. page because the advertiser didn't want to pay for a two-page story. So Mantlo must have written this, too. There's a whole lot of words. <laughs> there really are. But really what set the hostess fruit pie apart was the sugary shell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you get that store brand, like you get, I don't even know what's like your Kroger fruit pie. Yeah. It doesn't have that sugar coat. No, it's just crust. I haven't had one of these in in a few years now, but... I'd probably die. I'm a big fan. (laughs) I I once was a big fan of the lemon pie. The lemon was good. I love the apple and the cherry. See, the problem for me as a child was those have the fruit chunks. And as a kid, I didn't want actual fruit. (laughs) You you weren't okay with the filling and the chunks? You just wanted the... No, I wanted just like the smooth... Yeah, I couldn't really do lemon chunks. That would be gross. Yeah, so it was just like... Lemon was just a smooth filling. Okay, gotcha. The tart mixed with the sweet. It was delightful. Yeah. Okay, so we get back to now Spider-Man is now battling Wood God. You know, he's he's doing... He's He showed up. He's like, hey, I want to try to save the day. But then Wood God's like, you know... So earlier I meant to mention, there's a page where Wood God is riding through the town, and suddenly all the buildings look like the Old West. Yes. And then in this panel, Spider-Man gets backhanded by Wood God, and he falls and it looks like a water trough. Yeah. So this reminded me of like a really No, it is a water western. trough. Yeah. It is a water trough. So suddenly they're like on that the, the ghost town at Six Flags. Well, my, my theory the for Old this... West show. My theory for this... Is if you I don't know if you've ever read any comic books from the seventies that have Texas in them. <laughs> but it's the so same they're thing. They're just doing the same thing with New Mexico. They basically They're still stuck in the old west. It is the old west yeah. still. They assume ninety percent of their readership is from, you know, the East Coast or the West Coast. Right. So they can get away with it. They can get away with it. And yeah. you know, speaking of you know, the the Spider Man and the Hulk are the main team up here, right? Right. Do you remember the Sanger Harris comics? Uh-uh. Okay, do you remember Sanger Harris was a, a big clothing store from the 80s? Kind of, yeah. Like twice a year, it came out in the Dallas Morning News. They put out a Spider-Man Hulk comic book. Really? I, I think they did two of them. Wow. Uh, one of them was like those them with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Awesome. And the other was them at the State Fair of Texas. And that one, I think, had the X-Men in it. I vaguely remember the State Fair one. 
But it was it was the same thing. I mean, Texas is basically a western town. Okay. So this is where you find out that even though Spider-Man's webbing is strong enough to stop a flying jet, Wood God breaks right through Spider-Man's webbing. Yeah. And Spider-Man's about he's kind of realizing, "Oh dang, this, you know, this this guy looks stupid and talks like an idiot, but apparently this is going to be a hard fight." Right. And then this is great great yes, panels from is. John Byrne. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, Spider-Man's facing off to Wood God, but then his spider sense is telling him something else going on. So you got panel number one is the back of Spider-Man's head. Spider sense all around. With a shadow like up to his neck. The second panel, he's starting to turn his head to look over his shoulder. And the shadow is now up about three quarters of his head. Yeah. And then the third panel is him turning around, looking over his shoulder, full face. And it's all in shadow. Yeah. And you realize Bruce Banner's turned back into the hole. Yeah. Well, you see his transformation. I, it could be it's just him walking up. I think it's the transformation. Yeah, yeah, I think it is, too. It's the transformation. I really like, I don't know if John Byrne did this on purpose, but I really like because he has the spider sense and he's turning around, the shadows are growing, he has the spider sense. And then when he turns all the way around and the Hulk's totally transformed, the spider sense is gone. Like He's like, all right, I, it's not even worth warning you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're screwed, spider Spider sense gives up. I'm at... <laughs> Uh, and you know, and then the final shot is a great one. It's Spider-Man, you know, kind of twisting his body, realizing he's got the idiot Wood God on one side, <laughs> and he's got the enraged Hulk on the other. Yeah, his eyes are red. Yeah, and both of them now have red eyes because yeah. the they've clearly they're, been impacted by this nerve gas yeah, in some way has driven them to come to their anger. Yeah, and uh, and that's the cliffhanger ending. It leaves yeah. it. He, you know, Spider-Man's stuck between both, and both of them no longer want to kill each other. They just want to kill Spider-Man. Yeah, because he's he's meddling and shot him with webs. And so, I mean, it's a fantastic closing closing shot. Yeah, and that's where it leaves it. You know, obviously, I'm sure the story continues. Right. Well, sorry, uh, guys, we won't talk about it on this podcast. Right. It's going to leave it. Wolverine hanging. was barely in that one. Yeah, and uh, so I guess uh, let's start with you. What? That uh, the same thing. The overall impression. Hey, well, first thing, when me and Cameron did the uh, episode on Wolverine's first appearance, which was in Incredible Hulk, I uh, we didn't actually do it because we didn't read it together. But I told him that I kind of made up a drinking game <laughs> where you took a sip of beer every time the Hulk referred to himself in the third person, and you took a shot every time he said puny humans or little man. And you take a double shot whenever he said Hulk smash. So if we had played that drinking game during this issue, I think we'd both be pretty sick. Yeah, um, you would not have been able to appreciate the burn art because no. halfway through <laughs> you would have been, been reading three panels at a time. You wouldn't even you would have been on the floor. Right. But the official count is Hulk referred. And this is one issue. Mm-hmm. Hulk referred to himself in the third person. 45 times, including the awesome Hulk is Hulk on page 17. Which counts twice. Yeah, oh yeah, I counted both of them. (laughs) He said puny humans eight times. He said little man three times and Hulk smashed three times. Yeah, so So you don't be drunk as a skunk. Yeah, you you might actually die. That might actually be alcohol poisoning and death. So any other overall details you want to talk about before we grade it? Well, first of all, by that standard, this is a great, oh, yeah. great. I would have liked it a lot more if I was drunk. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you know, I guess I'm going to go overall impression. The art in this uh, is really solid. It's, solid. I John thought it was Byrne. fantastic. Yeah. It uh, it makes up it makes up for a lot of it does pretty average storytelling. Woodgod's terrible. Horrible, terrible, terrible yeah. character. A headache in a comic book. If they had replaced him with almost, I mean, you could have even anybody. Taken, Spoon Man. You could have taken even like someone like Mysterio, a total. Wor- I'm sorry if you like Mysterio. I think he's a lame yeah. character. He's only good as part of the Sinister Six. Yeah, I, I got uh, that. I mean, you, you could take any spare we character. We need someone with brute strength. So, we'll say Wendigo. Okay, yeah, you could take. Boy, that's almost as bad, though, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'd have to open up one of my Marvel universes to find who was alive in 1977 that right, they could have used. Strong and pointless. That wasn't... That's bit. really all he was here was to be strong and pointless. Well, you know, and the other thing is, because back in this era they tried to keep continuity, they couldn't just take anybody and put them in this town because right. anybody who's anybody is in another comic somewhere. Yeah. Why would they be in New Mexico when... Right. You know, one Heroes story don't of, go to New Mexico. They don't. One story Hulk's out of 7,000. He's running away from civilization so he can chat with himself. Yeah, Hulk. You'll get Hulk all over these deserted yeah. areas. Oh, yeah, he went to Canada. He's been to New Mexico. He goes to Colorado a bunch. So, uh, yeah. I mean, Woodgod's terrible. You you got the tedious dialogue. The story itself, it's it's a little hard to rate because, again, you feel like you jumped into the middle of a story that you don't really yeah. know the before or the after. The art is a total two thumbs up. I think it's I think it's great, particularly for this era. It's pretty groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. Something you don't super, really see. Super dynamic. you got great senses of motion and action. Uh, but it, much like the last one, I felt kind of like the plot was a little bit lacking. I mean, it, it, let's face it. it this is more it wasn't of a really a plot. It's more of a Hulk comic <laughs> than anything else. So for that, in that regard, it's a pretty standard Hulk smash type comic. Right. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. It was it was an enjoyable read. I'm not real picky on my 1970s era comic books. You kind of get what you get. Hulk smash spider. It uh. Did you actually just smash a spider? I did. <laughs> it was crawling across my microphone stand. <laughs> um, yeah. It's okay. I, I'd give it a thumbs up in that I, I still have a pen. I still have a little bit of a childhood penchant for the Hulk smash. Yeah. Spider dialogue. If I were to read this as a comic book written today, I wouldn't like it at all. Yeah, me either. Um, I actually, actually, I enjoyed talking about this. I hated reading it. I thought the art was way cool, but not enough to save it. So I'm going to give for, for my claw rating. I'm going to give this one another one out of three. The art almost bumps it up to a two because the art by itself is three out of three, but I actually gave the story zero out of three. You know what? In, I'm going to, I'm going to go with an unusual rating. Okay. It's going to blow your system. You don't try to do a half claw. I'll, no, I'll no, I'm not. It. I'm actually going to go with the picture from this. This is a snick instead of a snick. <laughs> there may be multiple claws, but none of them are extended. Okay. There's no T on Under the normal circumstances, I would not accept that rating, but I will on this time because I love it. <laughs> if I was going to go traditional, it's another one claw. Yeah. I, all apologies to Bill Mantlo and his... Well, yeah, I didn't know about his condition, so I really do feel bad, but I just... Now, granted, very limited exposure to his writing. He did not write a lot of stuff that I read growing up. 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think he wrote for several years and he even had a foray through DC. But I don't think he was ever considered, you know, one of the... I mean, he's right. Let's face it. He's writing Marvel team up. He's not right. on a main storyline. Right. This is where, you know, we want to keep it sort of in the Spider-Man sense and throw... I think Hulk was probably the second biggest guest star. And, probably, yeah. And which was probably 10 issues out of the 13-year run. It's, it was a Spider-Man vehicle. Right. And, but it's not amazing. It's not spectacular. And actually, when this... When Marvel Team Up was canceled in '85, uh, that's when they launched Web of Spider-Man, which, right. which more or less replaced this storyline. Yeah, they officially made it a Spider-Man, and it book. became the weakest of the Spider-Man books. Definitely, yeah. In Web of Spider-Man, they always tended to draw him with his legs over his head. <laughs> that was like the always really twisty Spider-Man. I, I didn't think that really happened until Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson came along. You know, uh, that, was that pre? I don't remember that from back okay, then. Okay, okay, let me just say this: I'm not a big McFarland fan. I don't want to oh, sidetrack the thing. Mc, okay, I'm yeah. not a huge McFarland fan because I really hated Spawn, and oh. that's that was kind of his baby. The yeah. Spider-Man, I like Spawn, all right. The Spider-Man comic Spider-Man that stuff. launched in I don't know when it was like '91, '92. It was just called Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah the one that McFarland drew and I wrote. I thought the McFarland art and stories in that. At least that initial run with the lizard is maybe the greatest drawings of the lizard ever. Oh, yeah. There's some guys doing them now that are pretty cool, too. But, yeah. It, yeah. it was spectacular. And, it, you know, uh, as a young aspiring comic book artist, it, it blew my mind. Yeah. Well, just that cover to number one alone is one of, in my mind, my most iconic comic book covers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tried to draw that cover 20, 30 oh, times, yeah. and I, I could never, never got, get it yeah. right. My, yeah. The legs were always the, you know, either disproportionately small or large. You just couldn't get right. that three dimension. It was great. Yeah. Anyway, back back to uh, back to this comic. Um, so we're in, uh, we're in unanimous again. One out of three claws. Yeah. For Marvel team up number fifty three. And it was nice seeing getting to read the uh, the first introduction of Wolverine and Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that part of both of these was cool. Everything else was not so cool. <laughs> you know, and I never dipped a lot into Marvel team up, and this is really why. Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is kind of my for- first foray into the book, to be honest. It was one of those that you would sometimes get from the comic book shop because they were like 50 cents. Yeah. But apparently 30 cents when they came out before right. uh, before I was born and you were born. But, uh, you know, I'm not uh, dying to rush out and pick up any of these. No, you know, I think kind of the most telling thing about this is I'm not going to try to find number 54. You don't even want to know what happens. Yeah, I don't really care how the story ends. And that, to me, is kind of the, the worst thing you can say about a comic book. Yeah, I mean, that it ended with a cliffhanger, and you don't care. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it can remain a hole in my collection. Because I actually saw a giant chunk of these on eBay for, like, 20 bucks. It was, like, 40 issues. And you still didn't want it. No, I didn't, I didn't that's, want it. That's, <laughs> that's how average it is I think now. I paid... Two bucks a piece for these two. You know, and the thing is, some things just don't stand up. Some things yeah. stand the test of time and some yeah. don't. And, uh, you know, if you're just looking for a little way to pass some time, uh, it's, you know, you definitely will pass some time with so much dialogue. Right. But if I'm going to, you know, for my 
for my dollar's value. Right. If I want to read a lot of dialogue, I'm going to read some Claremont. Yeah, definitely. Uh, something that's a, li- a little more thoughtful, a little right. more introspective, a little less wood god. <laughs> Every comic is better with the little less wood god. That's what I've, you know... Yeah, uh, you know, I will say, Man- Manlo seems obsessed with uh, deity references. You get the Hindu gods, and yeah, you yeah, get that's wood true. God. I didn't think about that kind of a, a nature thing with the wood god. I guess a Greek is Greek, but he kind of plays it more like uh, like a totemic kind of character. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I guess, and not not really my wheelhouse, but you're you're not a an aficionado of no. strange deities. No, no, I'm not. All right, well, so um, overall, I think we've mostly already said this. We just kind of put a cap on the episode. Were you as impressed as I was, though, all things aside, all the all the crap of these books aside, besides the extremely bright-spotted John Burns art, uh, were you as impressed as I was with the, uh, the young relationship between Spider-Man and Wolverine? Yeah, I do agree. That set the tone for what it was going to be uh, going forward. Right. Anytime you see uh, the first meeting of, yeah. of characters that have lasted, you know, 40, 50 years, right. uh, that's always exciting to yeah. see the, the first meeting of well, such I, epic yeah. characters. And I think in the future they've retconned or they've interacted before. But kind of after reading this, I kind of like this. And I think I will kind of always now on consider it their actual first meeting. I think it really, I don't know, it plays really well between them. So mm-hmm. I was really happy to get a chance. Because I never read these before until now. So a lot of the, like, the old X-Men stuff we're doing in the flashback episodes, I haven't read it in a while, but I've read it all. But this was a totally new experience for me, and it was uh, it was pretty cool to read. Yeah, just, well, just for that part. Everything else I can never read again, and I'll be fine. But, but that part, was uh, it was really cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm a better man for having read it. <laughs> well, that's what this podcast is about, making better human beings. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. All right, well, cool. Andrew, thank you very much for doing this. Um, I don't know when Spider-Man will show back up in our flashback episodes, but I will definitely uh, be calling on you at that time, and maybe even before then. We'll see how the how the cards fall out. So uh, I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. I hope the... Uh, you listeners had fun uh, with our banter as well. You're kind of the Spider-Man to my Wolverine. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad to be just that. Right. But neither of us, neither of us are as jerky or as mean as Spider-Man and Wolverine. But um, No, no. But we can ride ourselves that way. And I'm not as bendy either. <laughs> You're not as flexible and I'm not as tough. So there you go but um anyway again just thank you very much it means a lot to me for you to do this and um i hope the readers had as much or not readers the listeners hope the listeners have as much fun listening to this as we did making it um i'm assuming you had as much fun as i did oh this was a blast yeah i'd I'd love to come back anytime so we'll definitely find a way to squeeze you back in somewhere so um all right well that said uh while you're here Anything on your own behalf you want to plug? I know you do a lot of movie and music stuff. Anything coming down the pipeline soon you want to talk about that people can check out? Well, with that opportunity, let me plug a few things real quick. Yeah, go for Uh, it. uh, Number one is the movie Altered. Yes, You can go to alteredthemovie.com or check it out on Facebook. Look up Altered. 
Uh, it is a zombie movie that's being shot in August here in Texas, and it'll be hitting a very select group of theaters in yeah. December. And nice. I will be nothing says uh, Christmas like zombies. I, you know, I've always said that. <laughs> um, I will be acting in it. Uh, it'll be a feature-length movie. I'm very excited awesome. to be a part of it. Got a really cool local film company. Uh, great cast. It's going to be good, a really good time. Yeah. I uh, also want to plug uh, my wife, something my wife's doing. She's actually soon to release a her first novel of supernatural fiction. Awesome. Uh, the next so, Twilight, but hopefully better. I'm, we're hoping. Yeah. yeah better. Uh, so if you want to look that up, you can look up A.C. Autry, A-U-T-R-Y. So that's letter A, letter C, Autry on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. And you'll find information on when that's going to hit the shelves. And then uh, the, w- the one last thing I would plug is you can still go download Leaving Denton songs off of iTunes. There you go. The band Leaving Denton. Now, we, we, during one period, you were a member of Leaving Denton, I, Jason. I played some drums for you at one point. You yeah. played some drums, and you actually played one show as a bass player. Oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. During a different era of Leaving Denton. Just to, just to tell you a little bit about my uh, personality, um, during one of your songs, I think it's Portugal's Independence Day, I ripped off the bass line from a drunken punch-up at a wedding by Radiohead and plugged it into your song. I think it fit pretty well. I, there's a lot <laughs> of things that fit well into Portugal's independence. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, go to, you just look up Leaving Denton. The album is called How Autumn Fell, and it's all available it's good, on iTunes. It's a good album. I will speak highly of its behalf. And, you know, so I think there was probably 99 cents a song, something like that. Go, go, in, go enjoy some local is, indie uh, music. Is a bisected uvula still available for release anywhere? Yeah, that's actually free. Uh, okay. Uh, a little bit of a humorous endeavor. It was uh, good there. That's on uh, bandcamp.com. Uh, the band is called Redheaded Tuesday. Okay. There's, and that's for free. You can just go to yeah. bandcamp.com and go get a free copy of Bisected Uvula, which I recorded. Uh, Jason was the engineer and kind of producer, yeah. along with his friend Blake. Uh, of that song and uh it's probably the greatest song i've ever written <laughs> it was pretty fun i'll say that for sure so uh, i have a lot of fun listening to it and it was fun to record which i have something to talk to you about that by the way but that's not podcast material so um anyway uh anything else before we no that's it push thanks the space for, bar thanks for letting me plug a few things there. yeah definitely i always want to reward your uh your patience for doing this by letting you get some stuff out there so um all right, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn this off and let it go. Um, I'm not sure what's going to be next. Um, there's a whole lot of comics to come out in June. I don't know how I'll break those up. And then, of course, we'll do another the next flashback episode. Uh, we're going to do a Sabretooth's first appearance next and then another couple of issues after that. So that'll be what Cameron will be back for that one. And um, I don't know, that'll come out probably sometime in June, probably towards the end of the month. But yeah, so that's kind of what's coming down the line. So um, as always, uh, feel free to leave iTunes review for the podcast. You can get show notes on the website. That's snickcast.podbean.com. You can email comments, snickcast at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at snickcast. And of course, you can search for us on Facebook or the URL is uh, facebook.com slash snit podcast fan page that's all the official info 
We will get back to you when we get back to you. Um, one thing I will say real fast. John Wilson brought something to my attention that um, some of the early flashback episodes are not showing up on iTunes anymore. And what had happened is for some reason, Podbean's default on what is called syndication, which basically is holding the old episodes on iTunes, was defaulted to 20 at a time. So as I got past 20, unbeknownst to me, because they all stay on my website, they were falling off of iTunes. So I have corrected that, and I'm in the process of talking to Podbean support to get the original 11 that fell off restored to iTunes. I hope to have that resolved as soon as possible. But in the meantime, they are still on the on the website at snickcast.podbean.com. You can still listen or download anything from there that you want. And thanks again, John, for bringing that to my attention. I don't know if I ever would have noticed that or not. So I really appreciate that insight. All right. Well, I'm I'm gonna hit the space bar and turn this off. So until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye.